0: Welcome to the Survivor Historians, the number one Survivor podcast among crotchety old people. As always, I am Mario Lanza.
1: I'm numb. Uh, and my name is Paul Osselson.
2: And I'm Jay Fisher, and I routinely have two bottles of booze in my suit at all times.
0: <laughs> and we are here to recap Survivor Pearl Islands, which has long been my favorite Survivor season. Where, do, where does it rank on your guys' list? Number one for me, I think.
1: Yeah, I mean Pearl Islands is definitely up there. Usually, what ends up happening is when, um, you know, people ask, "Oh, what's your favorite season?" It's like there's some of those seasons like like Pearl Islands that I almost just kind of give. Well, that's a given. It's you know one of the top ones, and you try to come up with you know seasons like Marquesas or other seasons that. You know that that you feel more personally attached to that the rest of the world doesn't, you know, necessarily love. But I mean, Pearl Islands—you can't really get. There's not many people out there who are saying Pearl Islands sucks. So I think we're going to have a similar challenge that we do with Amazon with talking about a season that everyone already loves.
0: Yeah, I think in our in our Marquesas podcast, I, I made the comment that if they in in 20 years, 30 years, if you look in an encyclopedia what Survivor was, that I always use Marquesas as my my benchmark of that was like the perfect survivor season, but it's not my favorite just because there's Pearl Island's ranking right above it. And the thing with Pearl Islands is you almost can't compare it to the other seasons. Cause it's such an embarrassment of riches. Like you have Sandra in there, you got Rupert, you got, you got Lil, you got Johnny fair. Like, I mean, Sandra is one of my all-time favorite characters. Forget players. I couldn't care less that she's won twice. I just love her as a character. Mm-hmm. You could argue she's not even one of the top three characters of Pearl Islands. I mean, it's it's ridiculous how much is going on in this season.
2: No, it's good all the way through. Uh I think the Pearl Islands is my favorite season. I I I think you're right. We talked about it with Amazon. An incredible cast of characters makes a season. The season had great twists, or you know, super unfair twists. It had just incredible things going for it. It had great, it had a great theme. It had great challenges. Like, there was a lot of thought put into the season. There was a lot of care taken with this season. And you had just this ridiculous cast of characters. I mean, you're exactly right. Sandra is an A plus character. She's in the Survivor Hall of Fame, mainly because she's won the game twice. And I understand that fact. But even just her character alone merits a bunch of consideration for it. But we have Rupert, you know, who was going to come out of this the most popular survivor of all time. You know, at, on the on the the tail of this, you have Johnny Fair play the biggest villain, one of my favorite characters to ever play the game. And it, I mean, we're not even scratching the surface. You've got you know Andrew Savage on there. You've got uh, uh, you know Lil and all that stuff. Like this season is ridiculous.
1: Yeah, what now, something that stood out particularly well, um, and it's just kind of echoing what you guys are saying about a great cast of characters is that it really is a fun bunch of castaways. And yet, at the same time, I mean, Rupert kind of pushes the boundary on this a little bit, but I mean, they all are still very ordinary people. They're, they're people you could find in your hometown, uh, but they're also quirky and fun in their own ways. You know, we're not at the stage in Survivor yet where we're loading up half the girls with, you know, uh, these models with fake implants. We have people like Krista. We have people like Tawana, people who, you know, you might not remember right away, but going back on a rewatch, you think of all the great moments they provide, and they're just you know they're they're not movie stars they're not these you know super you know crazy individuals they're just quirky fun people that are fun to watch so you combine that with an awesome theme for the season awesome challenges and everything else that goes on in between and you have you know a perfect season of survivor and this was
0: of course the first themed season of survivor it wasn't where it wasn't actually based around the location as it was so much of an organic theme they kind of dreamt up and i think that's one thing that kind of gets forgotten that Survivor has kind of turned into that in later years where every season is kind of a gimmick. Pearl Islands was the first one they really did it. It wasn't, you know, the Amazon, it wasn't Africa. They based it around the theme, not the not the the setting. But what's cool is if you watch it again, how much little little quirks they put in to make it pirate theme like there 's almost an entirely new soundtrack in Pearl Islands, and I know that 's something that I talked about with Amazon that they had almost an entirely new soundtrack for the season. There was so much love put into this theme that it 's really neat even going back and watch it, I still find little things about it that I just love about this season
2: yeah, it does break the mold because in the first six seasons, you know they, they do kind of eke a little theme out of where they are right like you know when they're in the australian outback then they're going to talk about the aborigines and and things like that and you could throw in like classically australian looking things like a boomerang and whatnot but you know that's just all kind of stemming from the location and you know they were like in this one they're off the coast of panama and they're like we're off the coast of panama on the pearl islands and pirates are here oh shit Pirates. No, no, pirates. Did I mention pirates? Let's talk about pirates some more. So it wasn't really like the Pearl Islands per se. It was pirates. You're exactly right. The music and just the, you know, and then when you do that, they can then think out these fun piratey like challenges and even little piratey gimmicks because we're going to get into it. But, you know, just the looting of the camps and stuff like that, like just the way that they set this season up all around this sort of piracy sort of deal is fantastic.
0: Now this is something that Jay and I have kind of disagreed on in the past, and I'm going to bring it up right here, which was how well Pearl Islands was received at the time. And this is something that Jay and I remember completely differently, so it's it's interesting. What I, what I remember this is a very vivid remembrance remembrance of uh, Pearl Islands is that no one was really talking about it at the time. What I remember so so vividly about that time, is all anyone cared about was All-Stars. Because All-Stars had just come out, everyone knew it was coming right after Pearl Islands. And that's what, what I remember, all the message boards were being dominated by talk about All-Stars. So Pearl Islands, to me, was just kind of like the season you had to get out of the way to get to All-Stars. And I know this is funny, because Jay remembers it completely differently.
2: I remember it differently because... I was on the message boards, I was aware of Survivor Sucks, but I'm not going to sit here and call myself a Suckster. I was not posting on Sucks, I didn't have a Sucks account or something like that, it was just a forum that I lurked from time to time, and, and you, Mario, were, were more into it, so I was reading your works you know, throughout the sites that you were on and, and sort of lurking on Sucks, but it was just almost a, a weird supplement to my Survivor career. I was really more at this stage, where I am, I'm, I'm, at, I'm out of college at this point, uh, you know, and I'm talking with, you know, people about Survivor, really genuine water cooler talk. So, so my opinion of it is a little uh, different, or my basis of it is a little different from yours, because you were kind of in the game, and I was still more kind of outside looking in. So, you know, I think you're right. You know, the, the glow of Amazon was so bright, and when Pearl Island started, it was kind of like, alright, here's Pearl Islands, but Rupert emerges from Pearl Islands. I mean, you have to remember, if they were all talking about All-Stars next season, that's all well and good, but Rupert is included in that cast of characters, And then he wins a million dollars just getting voted most popular survivor of the All-Stars. Like, Rupert was huge. And so I I, I would defy to say that this is the season that you have to get out of the way to get to All-Stars because Rupert just became a life of his own.
1: And to remember, you know, from my perspective, even farther removed from the message boards, what I can remember going into Pearl Islands was that I don't remember the hype. Um, of any of the six seasons prior, I remember not hearing that much about it until right before it aired. And they started airing the promos about these people were going in with the clothes on their back, which I'm sure we'll talk about here in just a minute. Uh, but I remember there not being as much hype leading up to the Pearl Islands. Mm-hmm. But what I can remember is while it was airing is even just from the handful of, you know, of seventh graders or I guess at the time that was eighth grade now of the eighth graders who were watching it. I, there was a there were, there are people who who I kind of got into watching it in seventh grade and then eighth grade were like so hooked to the season and would stop and talk to me about it and teachers I would talk about it and everyone was talking about Rupert. So I remember there being a huge hype around Rupert and about the season. I remember when the Johnny Fairplay episode airs, I got a I got a call from a couple friends as it's airing saying, Oh my God, I can't believe this just happened. So I mean I can just from the the, the middle schools in Montana were going crazy over Pearl Islands. <laughs>
0: yeah there's one thing this is something that you know a lot of newer viewers won't know but the one thing that they kind of hyped about pearl islands ahead of time there's always something that there's always a buzz or something there's always some some rumor about it but the one thing about pearl islands was jeff probes would go on interviews and he would say you know it's a fun season we did pirates but there's something that happens in this season it's the biggest lie in survivor history and this is the only thing he'd really tease and i remember that very vividly too that the Great Lie, and and this is back in the day when Survivor wasn't necessarily that spoiled. I mean, we come off Amazon that was incredibly spoiled right down to the last minute, I mean, down to the final two before the season ever aired. Pearl Islands was not as spoiled as Amazon. So a lot of people did not know what this great lie was, who was going to say it, what it entailed. So this is the one thing I remember people talking about on the message boards. Okay, what's this lie, and who's it going to come from? And, and if you recall, it doesn't come until quite late in the season. It happens quite a bit. So I give probes a lot of credit for hyping this great moment and there's not even a payoff for it right away you really have to stick with the season and then the season kind of develops organically it becomes it it turns into this really great storyline a great underdog comeback and then all these great characters but the great lie which he built his whole hype machine around isn't until i think episode nine or ten so it's it's kind of interesting to watch it now
2: yeah there's 14 season or episodes to the season right
1: yeah, we add one in here. We there's
2: don't ever recap one, and then we, yeah, yeah, the, the the two part with the with the twist. Yeah, so I mean, there's there's a lot of season to go here, and and you're right. The 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 Johnny Fairplay lie is later on because that's post merge. That's that's as it is. But I mean, premer. I mean. Pearl Islands is a great season, not just because of the hype of Rupert, and not just because of this incredible cast of characters and the theme, which is all there. I mean, this is one where, you know, in some of these other seasons we're talking about, like with uh the... with 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 things, it's like oh well, the pre merge was good. The 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 post merge kind of dragged a little bit. Like there's no dragging here. Like we're 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 shooting off. I mean, the only thing you can maybe say is that you know the first couple votes are sort of insignificant, especially dealing with the outcast twist because we've get we get people who are booted yet returned. But at the same point, like this season just goes. It gets fun, and then it just doesn't stop. Pre merge is good. Post merge is good. I mean, there's fun twists along the way. Like the, this this season is definitely one where you can watch it from pillar to post and just say wow that was fantastic
0: and one thing before we jump into episode one here is i always point out because i I, again i was writing my weekly column back then i do all these predictions and i'd always try to predict just from reading the bios who was going to be the standout character and of course gene my my big (laughs) breakout star in amazon didn't happen fucking gene
1: (laughs) not even say the name ever again
0: but I will say, in my defense, if you go and read my, my all my archives, they're all posted on my website. Right off the bat, I said, this guy John Dalton is going to be the star of Pearl Islands. And I remember that specifically because Mertz Jaffa, our webmaster, we always disagree over my picks. And he saw that I was predicting John Dalton to be the breakout star of Pearl Islands. And, and Mertz is like, no way, that guy's not going to last more than two episodes. Everyone will hate him. So a very good point of pride that I'm one of the few guys that really, right off the bat, said... This guy, I think if I recall, John Dalton said that his goal in Survivor was to make it so it was him and a bunch of girls left at the end so they could have a big orgy. And I'm like, that's a guy that I want to see play Survivor. (laughs) And I think with that, we should jump right into episode one. Anything else you got to add before we uh, get started here? Let's do this. I think
1: let's dive in.
0: 90-minute premiere to tackle. 90-minute premiere. As always, I... I recommend all seasons have a 90-minute premiere because, as always, you can get 45 minutes of excellent character scenes. The Pearl Islands one is no no exception. There's almost no strategy talk the entire episode, which is always my favorite kind of episode. It's just characters interacting and getting to learn all these people. And this one, they throw them right into the wolves where they get on the boat. They're there for a photo shoot, and, and Jeff says, all right, here you are in your street clothes. You think we're going out for a photo shoot? No, we're not. The game starts right now.
2: Yeah, that's a good moment there, where he's you know he says to him like, "Welcome to Survivor, Pearl Islands. The game is starting. We're starting right now." And you just see them looking, and they're like, "Uh."
0: <laughs> and of course Sandra, I will leave. I will. I will let one of you quote the famous Sandra line. I should point out. Well,
2: gee, if only one of us could, you know, has has a has a semi-famous impersonation of Sandra. Is it you? Is it me? Wait, who is well, it? I mean,
1: I've won a Sandra impersonation contest. So, oh, it's all. Oh, oh. oh, that's it. You're taking nothing. I was like, oh, and you can fill in the blank there what she said there, which is very fun to say. They don't swear in Montana.
0: <laughs> She said shit.
1: <laughs> yes. <laughs>
0: yes. And I should point out, as always, that is the first confessional of the season. And I love I love rating a season based on the first confessional, how it sets the tone for the rest of the action. And the fact that we have Sandra dropping a swear word in the first confessional is my, my, maybe my all-time favorite first confessional of a season.
2: It's a good one. I think Sandra and maybe James and Palau. But you know, one one of those two is, is gotta take the cake. This is a good she's like, Oh shit. You know, and then we of course we get isn't the next one like Sean was like, I'm in an Armani suit. What am yeah. I gonna do
1: with an Armani suit? How it's many like, times oh, can Jesus, he say Armani Sean. in this exactly. uh, in this episode? <laughs> but I just I love the opening of Pearl Islands because it is so fresh and I don't think there's been an opening since the Pearl Islands that has that sort of energy about it. The fact that they kind of reinvented the way they were gonna start the game. I mean i in some ways it still really holds on to the aspect of what of you know of the what an opening of survivor should be which is people jumping off a boat into the ocean and you know getting to their camps But it had such a nice twist on it, and the twist itself even almost makes the show more real. It makes it way you know. It even connects to its survival roots, which is something that we've seen it, you know, go go away from for so long. It's it's you know hardly about surviving anymore. But the fact that they could incorporate the survival aspect—that you know whatever they're gonna whatever they're wearing is what they're gonna jump overboard with. It just is. It's a it's a great opening that has not been done as well since.
0: There's uh, two characters I wanted to point out here, Just just since we're just jumping right into the season here. that uh, I have to point out one of my wife's all-time favorite characters, and she's sitting right next to me. I know she's going to look over the minute I say his name, and that's Rhino. She's a huge Rhino fan. And, and I will point, the, the, the thing she says she likes about him is he's always smiling. So as you're watching Pearl Islands, if you're watching this along with us, watch for Rhino, who's never in a bad mood the entire season. He's always smiling and or petting a pelican. So there you go, one of my wife's favorites. You guys, big Rhino fans? I'm, I'm taking it. Both of you are.
1: I mean, within the game, I really have no problem with Rhino. There's some the the small interactions stuff that I've seen post of uh, uh, Pearl Islands and stuff. And I actually, way back when, when when I first was like getting into the Survivor community, I was like, like in a Survivor like chat room and and had a brief interaction with Rhino. Not so much of a fan of the Rhino outside the game, but inside the game, I didn't have too many problems with him. He doesn't really stand out to me as that huge of a you know of a character in the season but i mean the guy plays with pelicans he can't be that bad
2: yeah i feel rhino rhino really got i think the short end of the stick on a lot of the stuff uh as it shakes out but uh yeah i don't have much bad to say about rhino
0: excellent okay the other character i want to throw out there is dara of course Mm -hmm. (laughs) we always you know you always joke that survivor recycles the same archetypes the same professions over and over and this one we have the hot girl slash mortician <laughs> maybe may the all time greatest profession other than Dave Johnson rocket scientist
2: from Dave Johnson rocket scientist to Dara the southern <laughs> bell mortician
0: a hot mortician I mean have you ever heard of anything like that on a reality show before oh yeah she's the, the cute one in the bikini slash mortician <laughs> How does a girl even get into that? I mean, she was, what, like 23, 24? Yeah,
2: no. It's good. It, it's...
0: There's so many unanswered questions. I love that Krista is not the oddest character in the cast.
2: Oh, Krista. Oh, we're going to get into Krista. I got a lot to say about Krista, but yes. I mean, it's good. And, and you know, yes, we've already talked about it. Amazon was the first one to, to do it. Rip, RIP, the little beginning uh, montage of players and their and they're whatnot. But in this one, we kind of get it in a way because, you know, Jeff is starting the game and he tells him, he says, look, I'm going to throw you overboard in a minute. I am going to give you your shoes though. So, but, but fuck you for everything else. And then, you know, he, he then divides them up into tribes. And so we do get a little bit, we get everyone's name and they do kind of flash their, their occupation. Dara is a mortician. John is somehow art consultant.
0: Erotic art consultant. They cut that out, but it was an erotic art consultant. <laughs> oh, oh man. Well, yeah. And I'm going back to Krista. She's a, a model slash computer programmer. Have you ever seen that before? I have not. Yeah, she was a model slash computer pro- Like I'm a computer programmer. I don't work with people that look like Krista.
1: Are you sure? You're working yeah. at the wrong place, Mario. Yeah. They mostly look like Rupert. Well, and in this whole montage, if you notice, do you notice which three are sitting right next to each other? Right in the middle of the cast of characters, Lil, Sandra, John, sitting right next to each other. Is Lil crying? <laughs> I think so. You can't really see it. Uh, you know, she has her big hat on, so it kind of casts a shadow <laughs> on her face. So, uh. Did you know that I she was, was like, a Boy Scout leader? Yeah, I
0: noticed that. You kind of caught it around episode 12. <laughs> I think... I just want to... Right now, I just have to say I'm going to apologize to Lil and all her friends for anything we say on this podcast right now. <laughs> well will just lay that out there.
1: Which I'm kind of excited for this, too, because I really never, like, understood the Lil hate to the degree that it is, because <laughs> I, like, I mean, like, when I watched it as an 8th grader, like, I kind of like Lil. Like, I thought she was kind of endearing and nice and sweet, and I felt bad for her. I mean, since then, I can see how she gets, you know, gets on people's nerves and and the, that face she makes. <laughs> but, um, but, I mean, I've never really had that hard of feelings uh, you know, towards Lil so I'll, I'll be the kind of sticking up for Lil every now and then but a but, uh, part of rewatch I did get really annoyed when Jeff is announcing the, the tribes the you know the uh, Drake tribe named after Sir Francis Drake and the Morgan tribe and then he looks it cuts she's, Lil, mouthing. she's mouthing it <laughs> named after Henry Morgan oh just like shut up Lil fucking <laughs> Lil <laughs> <'Cause laughs> just like just just sit there and listen you don't have to be a show off and mouth Henry Morgan Yeah, uh, Dr- Lil She's like the droopy
2: dog of Survivor. <laughs> it is. It, it's going to be good. Well, I like as well though that they're out there in seemingly for a photo shoot, which you know I don't believe for two seconds. But you know they're out there, and like then Jeff's like, "Yeah, I'm going to throw you in the game. I need all your personal items." And you know some of them, you know, you see like Savage, he's got like his uh, passport in his hand and stuff like that. He's like, "I need your wallets for passports." But then you've like Austin, and he pulls out two entirely large bottles of booze and then he's got CDs and shit. It's like, my (laughs) God, this guy's like a traveling
0: DJ. I love the irony that they were going out to, you know, theoretically take cast photos and yet Dara Dara has chosen to wear a burlap sack.
2: (laughs) 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 That's good. And, you know, I mean, we get get the, the tribes mixed up. And stuff like that. And, you know, Jeff is like, I've got these things. And, and I think it's a good twist, though, because he's like, I'm going to throw you overboard. But there's a fishing village. Buy fucking supplies like that. I, I I agree with you so much, Paul. That is so refreshing. You know, it's not just like here. here here's your camp. It's like, you know, here, here's a chance for you guys to actually, like, do something to kind of affect your fate in this game. And, uh, you know, Dara's burlap sack and Nicole, who, you know, Jeff probes. Jeff Probes creep moment. Let's talk about Nipro, <laughs> Nicole being bra. With... Oh, my <laughs> Lord. Jeff. Jesus, Jeff. Like, he's just like, you wearing a bra? No? All <laughs> uh-huh. right. He's like, Let's talk about that.
1: <laughs> he's like, hope you got something on under that. And she shakes Sports her head fans. no. <laughs> and he's like, and then when he announced her to the tribe, he says, the tribe who was very, like, very excited to have the woman with no underwear on. <laughs>
2: Like, or or we could be more excited for like a big strong dude or something like that. No, nope, no, nope, no, bra, chick, hey, well, no, bra, chick, hey, we didn't have no bra, no bra.
1: Well, they get no bra, chick, and they get the Nubian princess. <laughs>
2: that was great.
1: I, I was did... going to say it's interesting how they 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 spotlight certain characters because they
0: give confessionals about them, and I'm like, okay, I'm pretty sure that Tawana, John, and Rupert may become major characters.
2: Yeah, I go by the moniker Johnny Fairplay. I don't play fair, so there's that, and you know. It's Krista that's you know like oh it's this Rupert he's like a big old hippie.
0: (laughs) Okay, see if you can go through the entire podcast without doing an impression of Krista's voice. No, I cannot. No,
1: I'm still a little uh, congested, so it's gonna yeah. Paul has a cold. That'd be perfect. (laughs) (laughs) He's a big old hippie and strong as an ox.
2: Ah, yeah. So and then you know then 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 they they have to. You know, take their little life ring and go in and and go in go to shore. I mean, the adventure begins and it's I mean, really just fun.
1: That whole montage, I remember. Like I watched that so many times uh, when that first aired because I thought I just thought it was like the the flick. Like coolest scene to watch ever: these people jumping off the boat, like in their high heels and their dresses and their suits, and just splashing into the water. And I think Tawana's like halfway down the ship, and like her heels are getting like stuck in the um, like the 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 window to the ship and stuff. It's it's just great watching them, you know, go overboard. And and I think you know Son- I think someone had an Armani an Armani suit. But I'm not sure which one.
2: <laughs> Forget who had that Armani suit. What are they gonna do in an Armani suit, Paul? It's Armani, you know.
0: The thing that I like about that opening is that you know you, there's been you know accusations at the producers over the years that they manipulate the show or they push it in a certain direction. There's no way they could have manipulated any of that village stuff. I mean, that's just players interacting with actual locals in an actual village. I mean, anything could have happened.
1: Well, they so were. Love- lu- well, they were in luck. It's market day. <laughs> it's market
0: day. Okay, <laughs> You're got- in luck. <laughs> Yes, but I just say how, how much could have gone really well or really poorly in that whole market scene. Like, the producers didn't know how well it was going to work because that's not something you can test with, like, the Dream Team or anything ahead of time. So, like, they just threw fate. Like, okay, 30 minutes in the episode will be you guys in the village. I hope something interesting happens. And I just love, like, how much... Uh, how, how willing the producers were to turn over the action to the players for once, as opposed to the structure of the Unless game. Unless
1: they just completely inflated the economy of that, uh, of that little fishing <laughs> village, so that they would just pretty much give stuff away. Who knows?
2: Yeah. <laughs> well, there, there was that, but I think that what we saw from the two tribes, because we, I, we're going to talk about this fishing village scene, but, I mean, the Morgan tribe got stuff to survive. It's not like the Morgan tribe did necessarily poorly in this. They got things they needed, but you know i think that they got i think that the producers kind of thought at the bare minimum they're going to get this stuff and Morgan got the bare minimum. But, I mean, the Drake tribe just absolutely fleeced the entire well, village. And lucky
1: well, lucky for the producers, not only did the Morgan tribe just get what they needed, they also got rid of stuff they already had, like their clothes. <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> well, there's that, too. We're going to get into that. But I think that, I mean, Mar- Mario's right. You know, they're they're putting an incredible amount of trust on the tribes to, you know, go in there and, and get the supplies they need and, you know, make for some decent television. And it's like, you know, Morgan showed that, you know, they, they could get the bare minimum. And get out, but then the Drake tribe just provided some TV magic.
0: Well, yeah, that's the thing. Like the producers have handed the entire structure of the episode over to the players. And two minutes into the episode, Rupert's like, I'm going to steal shoes. I oh stole for
2: the Drake. I stole for the Drake. And, I mean, that's when America fell in love with Rupert right there. I mean, it's – it's Rupert has himself a heck of a uh, of an episode here. And the first thing that happens is, you know, they get to shore. And, I mean, you did notice it right away. And, I mean, I'm not going to sit here and pile on. But, you know, now we're going to start talking strategy. They throw overboard. They get to shore. And then you see, like, Rhino – like it's a great scene like Rhino runs into the village just runs ahead of the Morgan tribe and he just ran over to the boat cuz he's just like all right got to secure the boat first to get to drive the camp and then he gets out there and he's like can any of you take me somewhere well what do I you... I don't have my map I don't know where or money <laughs> Oh, away crap. from
1: the pelicans. Away from the pelicans. <laughs> and then just <laughs> you know. start, and then salt in
2: the wound. Just like no blood, Yeah, no blood, English. Uh, you know, and and Ryan's like, oh shit, fuck that up. Yeah. You know, and then a bunch of the people went ahead, and and it's great because like you could just see Rupert. You know, and he talks about it. He was like, when getting in from shore, I was spent, and Rupert's like spitting up seawater and just sitting there like absolutely gassed from this from this ride. In but like the Morgan tribe just comes and dumps their life ring with their shoes out, and Rupert's just like. They were so stupid. They just did their life drink out there. This is a pirate game. Pirates steal. Pirates pillage. And I stole. I stole for De Drake. Drake.
0: Yeah. The thing with that is you have to think, like, when did the the players know that it was pirate-themed? Do you think they learned for the first time right on the boat when Jeff kicked them off? Like, this is a pirate game. Like, Do you think they've been told for weeks ahead of time this is going to be a
1: pirate-themed season? I'm sure... um I'm sure Lil let them know when she, you know, mouthed <laughs> Henry Morgan. She probably was mouthing to the contestants, pirate theme, Sir Francis Drake, pillage.
0: So that's your Lil impression now? <laughs>
1: yes, that's her mouthing. I can't really, you know, convey mouthing over the, um... yeah, I just throw some tears in there. And that that's Lil. When Paul that... does a
0: dead-on impression of both of the final two. <laughs>
1: when
2: when that Boy Scout bitch was telling me all about Henry, Morgan, and Drake, I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> I knew instantly that she was in the Boy Scouts.
1: <laughs> but <laughs> no, yeah, that no, was... Just... <laughs>
2: <laughs> I have a feeling that we're all going to just trip over each other way too much because we're like way too excited about Pearl. No, no, I was going to
1: I was going to move move forward here and just build on this this scene that's happening in the village. Is you know, I mean, just it starts off right away with you know before we really see them get you know dive into the village. It cuts to commercial there with you know with uh, with Rupert stealing the shoes and kind of setting up this pirate adventure that we're going to be on for the rest of the season. But it's just hysterical watching how you know how smart the Drakes are and. How how just, I mean, irrational and, and just, like, out of control the Morgans are. I mean, you just see them just sprinting and running around for no reason like chickens with their heads, you know, cut off. I love when Nicole and Dara are, like, you know, sprinting up the steps and, and Nicole's making, like, boat like, motions with her, like, uh, with her hand to those little kids and stuff. It's, it's just great.
0: Yeah. What, what a... I want to go back to one thing when I when I asked how far ahead of time did they know it was pirate themed? Do you think the producers told Rupert to steal those shoes? I've always thought they didn't really know it was a pirate theme yet or they just found out. Would that be Rupert's first instinct to take their shoes? I always kind of thought there had to be a producer in his ear saying, hey, it would be awesome if you pirated those shoes. That's that's why I wanted to bring that up.
2: It's weird because it's slightly out of character because, you know, Rupert is so, you know, honest and brave and true and all this sort of stuff. But Rupert was, is fiercely territorial and all the Survivor games he's played. You know, he he sort of acclimates to his tribe. So... I in in a way I could see Rupert just basically saying, you know, oh, I'm just going to take the other tribe's shoes. And it's not some underhanded cutthroat thing. He's just like, you know, tribe pride. But, you know, you're right. If if you if you were to tell me that the producers whispered in his ear, "Hey, take those shoes." I'm not really going to throw up a fuss
0: there. Yeah, I mean, no, there's no proof that they did. I just it's something that always strikes me as being kind of out of character for Rupert.
2: It is a little. I do like though you do get a little bit of a character cuz Johnny Fairplay, as you said, the great lie is episode 9 or 10 or whatever, way down the road. And the Drakes don't go to tribal council for a while. So, so Johnny Fairplay's magic is not going to come right away. But you do mm-hmm. see a small glimpse because, you know, Rupert, you know, after he's, his little steal for the Drake and the shoes, you see him like starting and, you know, he's making ridiculous deals. And it's like, Jesus Christ, Rupert. He's like trading a shoe for like a pineapple <laughs> and, you know, like just stuff. You know, other people are getting decent things for shoes. And he's literally like, you know, like, oh, what is that, a shoelace? I'll trade you a shoelace. For this shoe, he had and, to
1: get—he had to get rid of the little women's shoes.
2: I had to get rid of the little women's shoes, but like you see him, like he, like John walks up to the thing, and Rupert's like, "Here, take these shoes, sell them." And you know, you see John's like, "Where'd you get these?" And Rupert's like, "Pirated." And you just see John go, "Ah," and he walks <laughs> away with—he puts them under his his shirt and walks away. I just love that thing from John where he's like, "Where'd you get these? Pirated." yeah okay. And he just walks away like Johnny Fairplay's like, "Fuck yeah." <laughs> i got to bring up another
0: thing that a lot of people forget about Rupert. Everyone remembers episode one, Rupert steals the shoes. Oh, Rupert's great. But there's another aspect of his character that kind of gets forgotten until you go back and watch the episodes. You forget that he ends up wearing a dress for half of the episodes. Sure. But it's all because of episode one because he had to swim in in jeans. He wasn't in a skirt to start. He was wearing jeans, and he had to swim in. And, of course, what happens when you swim in jeans? You get, I'm chafed. So Rupert's all chafe. So that's the other thing I always like to remind people about Rupert: that why he was an awesome character. He's this big guy. He looks like a. He looks exactly like somebody who think you think would be named Rupert. He's wearing tie dye. He has a giant beard. He steals shoes, and he's wearing a dress by the end of the episode. So I mean, there are very few characters that were better than Rupert. I know people are kind of sick of him after seeing him three, four, or whatever many times he's played by now. Whenever you listen to this, but he was an amazing character because he's so unique.
1: And while Rupert's putting on a dress, Austin is telling the little women in his <laughs> tribe to take off their dresses so they don't have to spend the sack of, of uh, money, which he's really opposed to spending these Balboas. So the women can even they you know the old men in this town are horny; they could just flash their boobs and uh, they can get some more clothes or some was more the, uh, stuff.
0: That was the best segue in historians' history, Paul. Well done. <laughs> yeah, that <laughs> was you. good. Well, well yeah, I was just gonna point that out. Austin, wonderful social game player that he is, tells
1: the two young girls he's never met before that they need to start stripping. It's awkward because Lil's kinda there too and then she's like, ah ha 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 kinda yeah. like laughing, like, don't know how to respond to this. Hope you're not suggesting me because when you you know, when you act like a scout, you look like a scout. So you you know, keep your blouse buttoned up. And he's like Lil, I'm not talking
0: about you. <laughs> <laughs> how about the you the two young girls strip and Lil, how about you go over there and watch? <laughs>
2: <laughs> something something I'm going to hit on briefly is this. I mean, the Morgan tribe is a fiercely inept tribe, and they're going to continue to be inept for for basically till the Morgan tribe is no more. And I think that a lot of that blame is placed squarely on Austin's shoulders. And it's what? not it, it's it's not really the whole Austin quitting. Like everyone always now knows Austin is the quitter. You know, but you have to look past that. Like Austin is terrible and just drives this tribe down. And you can see it right at the beginning. He's running off, half-cocked in this thing. Then he's telling the girls to flash their boobs. He's reluctant to spend money in the village. It's like you have this money, you don't need it afterwards. Like you're done. You're not going back. You're going to go on a flipping island and eat coconuts for the rest of the time. You don't need the money, right? And he's reluctant to spend the money. And then he says, and then, and then, out of all the things, he's then like, I'm going to take all of my clothing and I'm going to. Sell it. So all I have is my boxer shorts and my shoes. And it's like, Austin, what in the fuck are you doing?
1: And they walk away with a sack of money still. So he does not have any clothes and they still had money.
2: Always notice, whenever there's a tribe that is, that is you know, in Survivor usually, I mean, there are seasons where it's not like Amazon was a little bit different because the tribes got kind of switched up and it became kind of this Rob, Dina, flip-floppy, bottom-feeding kind of thing. But in these seasons where you have these divided, you know, distinct tribes, there usually is a winner and a loser in this thing, uh, like Thailand. You know, Thailand, ultimately, it was the Guns over the Sukhjais. And you usually have somebody on that lower tribe, the loser tribe, the not-as-good tribe that is narrating in episodes one and two just sort of the mistakes that's kind of outlining what's going to happen the rest of the season and this time it is ryan shoulders it is skinny ryan that has a couple of confessionals in this first season and you do see him i don't know if it's confessional but you do see him in the village i mean they're literally leaving and you see skinny ryan holding the bag going like we have money we have money let's spend it (laughs) you know he's being totally ignored
1: oh shut up that limp noodle (laughs) <laughs> he
2: he is a limp noodle. We'll we'll, we'll go there, but uh, you know he's exactly right here to spend the money. And so you, we've talked a little bit about the Morgan tribe just being totally inept here. But let's talk about some sh- fun shit with the Drakes, and especially fun shit with Sandra.
0: Oh, Sandra's yeah, <laughs> Sandra's the greatest. A lot of people have said, well, that that challenge was unfair because Sandra spoke Spanish and they were in a Spanish-speaking village. But you know who cares? Let's. But yeah, it's one of the great Sandra moments where she shows up and there's. You know, people do an entire chicken barbecue. They've been like, basically like grilling for the entire village. And Sandra's like, all right, fuck this. I got it. And she just goes
1: and basically walks away with her entire She's barbecue. She's like, here's the gold chain. She's like, the lady's like, she, the lady looked at my chain. She was like, yeah, I want it. And I said, I want everything. I want your knives, your aluminum foil, your cutting board, your, your, bar- your ketchup, your, your hot sauce, everything. The only thing we didn't take was the grill. So, uh, you know, but it's not really fair to say that the other tribe is at a disadvantage because Tawana spoke Spanish too, didn't you hear? See, money, money Money back. See, you're stealing, you're stealing. See, money. A lot of people,
0: oh, go ahead. Go ahead. ahead. You go. (laughs) Yeah, I was going to say a lot of people always ask me what Sandra's reputation was. You know, she's a two time winner now, maybe three time winner by the time you listen to this. Who knows if she's going to play again, but. A lot of people, what was Sandra's reputation? I'm like, for the first couple episodes, she didn't really have much of a reputation. She was just the girl who who spoke Spanish and got all this stuff in the village. So she really wasn't a major character other than this scene. But this is the one that everyone kind of remembered. I remember in my uh, column that week, I wrote, oh, episode one, MVP Sandra. And I was kind of surprised because she's kind of a forgettable character. You don't even pick out from her bio or from just looking at the cast. So I remember being quite shocked that someone this minor of a character would have been major in episode one.
2: Yeah, and I mean it, it, it's 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 more so I mean you saw Sandra negotiating and stuff like that and I know we're going to talk about the very brief instance she has with Corazon in the uh, in the little shop there with Trish's eyes but I mean you know it was just more the fact that Drake stuck together you know and Sandra being an ace in the hole knowing you know speaking Spanish and being able to kind of haggle a little bit but you saw her like you know and and I, and I as much as Paul knows German I know half as much Spanish and you know she is talking to some of them and she's saying how much for your rice and the guy tells her a price and she's like "Nope, it's cheaper over there and you know she's at least you know in this haggling mode but it's the fact that Drake took the time to look at things spend all their money and just see what on earth they could get for things whereas Morgan was literally just like let's get the supplies and get the heck out of here so like it was just the fact that you know Sandra kind of leading this haggling charge is going through the village I mean they got fucking everything they got everything and and they almost had to give up trish
0: (laughs) okay before we move to trish i have to do this is one of my favorite scenes in survivor history my favorite little interactions i have to do an impression this is johnny fairplay where he unwraps the tinfoil and shows rupert look what sandra got she got an entire chicken dinner and rupert lets loose oh my god (laughs) (laughs) i just love imitating that
2: do it again Oh, my God. (laughs) And he calls him Blackbeard. That's like the best way. He's like, yo, Blackbeard, look what we got.
0: (laughs) All right, let's get on to the chick on chick stuff.
2: So they walk into the store and there's a lady there that they call Corazon, which means heart. And, uh, you know, she's got this general store and they're basically buying lamps and kerosene from her. And uh, they're trying to work out a deal. And uh, basically Corazon tells Sandra, says, I will give you these things. I will give you a great deal if you give me her eyes. And she's talking to Trish. And Sandra translates. And Trish is like, oh, oh, that's so nice. She's so thankful. And, you know, it's this nice little scene. And it's, it's only slightly creepy a little bit. But then we get the Sandra confessional, <laughs> which pushes it over the top. Paul, go.
1: <laughs> and Trisha was, like, hugging the lady and stuff. And I was like, <laughs> I, but I think the lady actually liked her. In a sexual way. (laughs) And I was like, yo, we need to go. Yo, we need to go.
0: (laughs) I I get so many people write me over the years that say that scene should have been on the Funny 115. And I I know people just love that whole scene. That's a big fan favorite scene with Trish and the eyes and Sandra.
1: Was that not in the Funny 115?
0: It was not on the Funny 115. I just
1: assumed it was because, uh, yeah, that's great, Mario. You effed up.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's a great character scene. I never thought it was... As funny as it was, just kind of quirky and, and interesting. But yeah, that's the one that I always get emails about.
2: I think it's because Mario probably ranked Trish really high in his preseason rankings, <laughs> and uh, he's like, you know, Trish almost got raped there.
0: <laughs> you know, Trish is one of the underrated players, greatest underrated players in Survivor history.
2: <laughs> she it, Tr- Trish has actually got some uh, some strategy behind her. I, I actually hear that argument, but uh, yeah, uh, poor Trish. She almost uh, she almost lost her life there.
0: Can you imagine if she'd been kidnapped and like assaulted by the lady in the village of been, oh my god.
2: <laughs> Well, what's funny is that Sandra's working out this great deal and they're joking with the lady, and the lady is only half joking when she says she wants Trish, but it's this nice scene. And then you get, you know, the contrast there. I think someone's talking about it in a confessional, but again, it's this contrast with Tawana, which is this total American, uh, <laughs> She's, you know, which she is just barely
1: get, all right, if you're going to steal from me, I'm going to steal from you.
2: You know, and it's this total American thing where it's like, oh, you don't quite understand me? Let me talk louder and slower at you. <laughs> No, no, no. You have my money. Give money, me my money.
0: <laughs> yes, that's the Charla and Myrna way of interacting with each other. <laughs> the Charlotte and Mirna I mean, way.
1: it's like one of those things, it's like you don't even have to speak the language know that much about it. Like, they told you the money, like, they told you that the, the currency is called Balboas. You can at least yell, Balboas, Balboas. Like, come on, <laughs> use your head.
2: Balboa, my snake!
1: Or or or, or if uh, Austin had his way, the Nubian princess Tawana would have lifted up her shirt and said, Boobies! Boobies! <laughs> I can't believe you can say that in Montana. You didn't censor that one. We're pushing it.
0: <laughs> wow, we've spent almost an hour just on the village scene. <laughs>
1: <laughs> we had a lot of build-up to the village scene, too, so... Let's All right, let's get on our damn boats and get to camp. So, because so they get on the they get on the Because boats and hold Morgan... on. we need to hurry up because apparently that these you know, the Drake driver the Morgan driver on different time schedules here because you know getting on the boat is very it needs to be very done quick it needs to be done quickly because the Morgans are going to hop off their boat and start sprinting down the beach. So we got to hurry here, guys
2: they go and then you get the Drake on there and they're bringing like, you know, chickens, uh, you know, a, a feast for the thing, like a, f- uh, a handful of toothbrushes, somebody's house. Like they're putting everything on the boat and going and they're just like chillaxing and they get to their beach and they've already had like barbecued chicken dinner. I'm like, well done. Well done, Drake.
0: Well, that's just... what I love about the Drakes is that, you know, the Morgans not only didn't really get supplies, they gave away supplies. The Drakes got so many supplies, they had time to buy things like toothbrushes, which I just love.
1: Yeah, I know it's, it's it's great, and they you know they have everything they need, and and like I was just was talking about, once we finally do get to camp, I mean, like Jay was talking about here, we have Ryan give another sh- you know confessional where he says Ryan S, you know. You know, I was hoping we'd get to the beach, give some hugs, like, you know, we're here, guys, let's do this, and there's just none of that, and you can see right from the beginning where Morgan goes wrong is the fact that there was no team unity, there was not a feeling that we all are on a tribe, we're on this adventure together, and the, ridicul- the ridiculousness continues here. As soon as they start looking for a place to, you know, to to build the shelter, Austin suggests that uh, we start running. And maybe if they wouldn't have focused on running down the beach, um, to find where to build the shelter, they could have looked at the map and found where their water hole was.
2: Oh, Morgan is so inept. They're so inept the whole time. I mean, and you look no further than the fact that, you know, they just were running around the beach and they just didn't take the time to look at the map and, and see that the water would be on the map. Like that is just like I literally wanted to punch my television upon a rewatch when they wake up the next morning. And I know I'm skipping slightly, but they wake up the next morning. They, they look for hours for the water and couldn't find it. And then, you know, Tawana just gets in the morning and says, oh, it's right here on the map. Really, really large.
0: Okay, uh, since we're going into camp scenes here, I would like to give a special shout-out to one of the more underrated, cute girls in Survivor history. You know who I'm going to be mentioning here?
2: Are you mentioning Michelle? We've already talked about Lil. No,
0: no, not Lil and not the Nubian princess. I'm talking about the cute librarian girl that has been completely forgotten in Survivor history. Yeah,
1: you know, like uh, another example here of, of Michelle, who's very attractive... And, you know, it is not the type of girl they would throw on the show nowadays. But, you know, there was a lot behind Michelle that I wish we could have seen even, you know, a bit more of. Because I think she was, you know, a lot feistier than we even saw. And we kind of see a little bit, you know, towards the end of her stay on Survivor. But, yeah, Michelle's a fun little, you know, forgotten character that, that they throw at us. Yeah, she's
0: super cute. I, 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 yeah, absolutely. Yeah, a lot of guys like the librarian look. And Michelle pulls it off absolutely perfectly with those big old dorky glasses. Yeah, Um, unfortunately, she's one of those characters, she's really not around, and she has a very deserved boot episode later, we'll talk about her, but I just, in my notes when I'm watching episode one, I'm like, wow, Michelle's really cute, she was a... A character that should have
2: been a bigger person in Survivor history than she was. And to talk about the wealth of characters, you know, we've we've had Sandra make an appearance here at the village, but we've had conversation, we've had confessionals from Johnny Fairplay, even though he is not in full Fairplay mode yet. But we've had conversations from Austin, who is a big pre-game or pre-merge character. We've had Rupert kind of make his emergence and stuff like that. But I mean, we haven't ever, even really talked so much yet about Lil and about Burton and all Burton. these people. Like, none of these people have come up yet, and like they're huge characters like th- these people are on deck we have characters on deck we're like 45 minutes into this episode and we have characters on deck it is ridiculous <laughs> there's a great scene
0: I- I- i've always been a big burton fan and there's a- i forgot about this <laughs> there's a great scene like right at the start of the episode of uh, right at the start of the season where Burton and Sean are making fun of Rupert's beard because they like how when fat guys in beards eat food, the food gets stuck in the beard. And that's when Burton does his first point and physically point and laugh at Rupert. Or He goes, ha, oh, ha, 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 come on. So that's Burton's first douchebag moment.
2: It's good. And then uh, it, it's around this, around this time, though, where uh, we're getting everything going, we're getting some shelters built and whatnot, where Rupert is just like, I cannot take these jeans anymore. My crotch. My god, my thighs smell so much better.
1: <laughs> Where wet Dunham likes to rub for whatever he says.
0: <laughs> Rupert's the I, again, I I I find it unfathomable that people eventually kinda got tired of Rupert in Survivor History. He's so amazing in Pearl Islands. Every time he opens his mouth, it's hilarious.
2: Oh, it's good. And then you know, I, I, I but it's just the way he talks, the way you know, and in everything. I mean the the the, the, the lure behind rupert is not just ah he's this big tie-dye dude with the beard and the pirate theme i mean all of that was magic it all worked in you know a magical way but you know i felt like his confessionals he had a really fun uh, pace with the way he says things you know and he's like oh you know when he was getting the because he was done with his jeans and he didn't want to wear them anymore and you see him and krista and krista's got like the long dress and it's like well we can you know get this and something like that and rupert's like oh there was some teasing <laughs> it's done <laughs> yes, I'm, wearing a this, I'm wearing a dress. <laughs> I just love that, you know, uh, it's done. Yeah, I'm wearing a dress. And you're like, oh, that's so fun.
1: I love that was uh, there was enough fabric on Krista's dress to go to Rupert and also a top for Michelle, as uh, John points out. <laughs> yeah, how hippie is Krista? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so so maybe <clears throat> what we should do to talk here because we get so many character scenes. Maybe we should talk about, you know, our favorite scenes from... The Drake tribe, you know, leading up to the challenge, and so we'll talk about the failure scenes of Morgan leading up to the challenge and then go from post challenge because there's so much that we can get uh, lost in here. All right, I got two Johnny Fair or, uh, two Rupert
0: confessionals again. it's all Rupert. The one where he's talking about the way, like Jay said, the way that Rupert phrases things is just odd, and it goes back if you if you were on the CBS.com website at the time, just like everyone who lists their favorites and everything. And for favorite beverage Rupert listed 2% cow's milk. <laughs> which is the funniest thing is who has to specify they're talking about cow's milk. If you say 2% milk I've pretty pretty sure that you're talking about cow but it, just little stuff like that that rupert just has an odd way of well of, of, it wasn't
1: it wasn't milk from uh, a saltwater catfish i didn't know yeah, they so made such an animal such an yeah.
2: animal
0: and that's the next thing that's the next one i was going into i didn't know they made such an animal i'm like rupert you gotta, gotta work on your grammar a little but then he's got the one about fair play where johnny fair play this guy he reminds me of my kids of back home. He pops off about stupid stuff, about getting some honey, smoking <laughs> something, drinking something. I love the
1: getting some honey. <laughs> you know,
0: in fact, I think if, if I recall, that was the title of my episode one recap. And when I was writing my recall, it was episode one, getting some honey or something like that.
1: That, that whole scene here, you know, where, where it's, it's really, it's really fun how they do that. You know, especially, you know, once you've seen the season, you know, where it's going to go having, you know, Rupert, you know, right next to John, they're kind of going back and forth. And then, and you know they vary as John, you know, drinks a little bit more, drinks a little bit more. We get some Sandra critique on it, and I mean, I think history will tell you that the three biggest characters from the season that are going to live on in Survivor Legacy are John, Sandra, and Rupert. And um, so it's really fun to go back and watch that scene because it's one of their first interactions all together.
2: I think one of my favorite scenes leading up to the challenge is actually where Burton, uh, you know, they they show that they've got bought a, a spearfish. Uh, a, a, a spear to go in the water, and Rupert—it's—it's it's actually Burton that goes out there and catches a fish with the spear, and kind of shows them all how it's done. And then Rupert's like, "I think I can do that." And then it's kind of this—it's this running thing through Pearl Islands, and it continues on into All Stars and whatnot as Rupert with the Hawaiian sling catching fish, you know, and he's gotta—I oh, gotta go get more fish. I gotta get one. But, you know, then, then you see them eating the fish. And I don't know if it's this season or, or this episode or the next episode, but it's not only did, did Drake get everything in the village, he got fucking plates. They're eating off of plates, folks. <laughs> All right. Uh, I
0: just have a, one thing I wanted to mention about John, John Dalton here. We're going to talk tons about him later, but <clears throat> I just have it in my notes in episode one that he had never really seen Survivor before. This is something I actually I just, I have found out in interviews with some of his friends. I actually talked to Thunder Dan all the time. Thunder Dan's a big fan of the historians. But uh I was yeah, asking about Thunder D. Yeah. I was asking was John a big like John wasn't a Survivor fan at all, right? And and Thunder Dan said no, he uh John just kind of got recruited. He was at a, I forget what he said, a bus stop or something like that. And John got recruited. And so we had to show him all these seasons. And so basically, Thunder Dan pulled him aside. And Dan is a Survivor fan. So he basically introduced John to Survivor. And Dan said, You know, I showed him all these seasons and I said, Watch this guy, Rob Sesternino. Watch what he does and kind of do what he does. So most of John's game is based on Rob the season before. And you'll notice it really early on in, in, in uh, pearl islands where john is always kind of the swing vote in between two sides he's the lovable goofball that no one takes seriously and just pay attention to that as you're watching the season that he's basically just doing rob c
1: i mean i'm gonna say it now just in case you know it slips our minds later on even at the final tribal council he rips off rob c's you know line about i wish there was a choice you know c none of the above and yeah. uh, when he goes to vote, he even turns to Jeff and says, my question's for Jeff. Can I choose C, none of the above? So, sure. yeah, there's there's a lot of hints of that, about how much um, of C's game John incorporates.
2: Also, note, and this is the one thing I'll just say about real quickly about Morgan before we get to the immunity challenge. Oh. We do need to get there, is notice also the number of Boy Scout troop mentions from Lil or about Lil. Wait, is she uh, a
1: Boy Scout troop leader? Oh,
2: my God. You know, and, and the and the and the thing is, is that again, and I know I'm going way ahead, but I mean, she literally says at the end, like at the end of Final Tribal Council, she's like, if I could have not wear the uniform and blah, blah, I would have. And it's like, yeah, I get that. You know, that she thought she was on, you know, some photo shoot and she was wearing her Boy Scout Scoutmaster uniform and stuff like that. But boy, you know, she brings it up a lot. Other people bring it up a lot. Like it's literally going to be the nails in her coffin. So just start, start, start counting the references to the boy scouts of america with lil all right that's it i'm done let's go but just to follow up on that real quick. no
0: yes but you know my son is a boy scout and i know a lot of boy scout leaders even if she hadn't wore that uniform she still would have been a scout leader it's impossible for a scout leader not to be a scout leader I just well, know a lot of people like that.
1: You know, they should work on the literacy rates of a boy scout leader or boy scouts in uh, Ohio if they didn't, you know, couldn't read the map to where to find that damn water.
0: <laughs> All right. So here we are with Morgan. There aren't a lot of great Morgan camp scenes because they kind of suck. It's just like fail, 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 yeah. fail. Austin, of course. And again, I got to throw out there that, you know, everyone gives Austin flack for, you know, quitting Survivor, but he was legitimately sick. Like he but, of course, it was his own fault because he sold his clothes in the he village. He sold his clothes. <laughs> he has no clothes. for like He's exposed to the elements for 18 days with no clothes whatsoever. So, of course, he got sick. But we'll get to that more later. Okay, so we got Lil and the Limp Noodle, Skinny Ryan, becoming best friends. That's really the only character moment that really comes out at
2: the start of Morgan, if I recall. Right, with a very short payoff to this. But, yes, um, we, yeah. we get it. And
0: then, of course savage being the leader i will throw this out there right now you guys are going to get so sick of us talking about this because jay and i are 180 degrees different on our perception of andrew savage to the point where i don't know if we should even talk about it because like jay thinks savage is maybe the worst person ever in the history of survivor and i think he's like (laughs) the greatest person in the history of survivor like it's that diametrically opposed so
2: i I don't think that but it's pretty close I'll put it this way. I don't think that Savage is a very good survivor player. I think that Andrew Savage, I'm sure like if I met him and he seems like an incredible human being, like I would probably be a better person knowing him. But like Jesus. Yeah, I would say so. But (laughs) I think that, you know, his survivor skill is not so good.
1: What I will say about Andrew Savage is that he is an excellent addition to the show. Brilliant casting. Yes. But he annoys the crap out of me.
0: Okay, I'm sure we'll have plenty more to say about this later. All we'll say at this point is that it is established that Savage is the leader. He yeah. steps up, no one, no one challenges authority, and then we go right into episode one immunity challenge,
2: which is lug a fucking cannon somewhere,
0: yes, with no pants. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Pants optional. But, you know, we need to get the cannon across the finish line. And, you know, they, they do start in the woods. And then, you know, they have to, you know, go through various obstacles where you have to clear rocks. And then they have got a, uh, a section where you kind of have to disassemble the cannon. The cannon kind of comes off from the wheeled... Uh, Uh, base that it's on they kind of have to take it apart just to get it over something but uh yeah it's basically get this cannon and all of your tribe when they they give them like a torch and a little flag or some shit but it's basically like get everything across the finish line first go
1: and do you guys know about why uh john deserves some serious credit for this challenge why is that he talks about i think on the dvd i think i've read somewhere else too so after they explain the challenge jeff let each tribe They each picked one person to walk the entire course, you know, uh, once they were out of the kind of jungle and stuff and along the beach and stuff. And mm-hmm. uh, John was the person from Drake, and so they, he walked all the way down there with Jeff, and, you know, once they got out of the jungle area, it still was quite a long ways they had to pull that cannon. Well, John goes back to the to the Morgan tribe, or, or he goes back to the Drake tribe, and John tells them that, oh, it's not very far at all. once we get out of here. It's, like, right at the end here, and, they, and I don't know exactly what he says, but he tells them that it's super short, with the intent that once they get out of that clearing— Drake is going to be booking it because they think they're at the finish line. And then they keep going, going, John, where is this thing? And so uh, that's something that John has talked about since then that he thinks really helped them, you know, once they got out of that clearing, why they were booking it so damn hard was because they thought it was a short sprint to the finish line. They, you know, they didn't realize that it was a lot more endurance needed to get to that in, 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 uh, to that finish line.
2: But they start the challenge, and you can see right away, they start the challenge. Drake just ba- basically has the cannon on the wheels and decides to wheel it, as opposed to Morgan, who has Austin and Savage or whatever, like physically carrying the one cannon while other people on the Morgan tribe are wheeling the cart. Like it is, it is just idiotic from the start, and Drake takes a lead. But as, as Paul mentioned, this is an endurance challenge. It just allows Drake to take a temporary lead, and, but they, they kind of neck and neck through the obstacles. But as they're going, shorts are falling off.
1: I was going to say, okay. not, the dresses aren't falling off like, uh, you know, like Austin wants, <laughs> wanted, but the, <laughs> the, the pants sure are.
0: All right. Uh, again, we're going to go. Here's where we start. This is where it all starts. Andrew Savage, one of the greatest leaders in Survivor history, right here. He's thinking about team morale. He knows Austin's pants are falling down because Austin has given away all his clothes. He doesn't want his star athlete, one of his key important members of the tribe, to be embarrassed or feel out of place. So they all drop, all the men drop the pants. It's a wonderful morale boost. Even though it looks silly, there's a purpose behind it. So I will point out again, Andrew Savage, great leader right there. Thinking about stuff that other leaders wouldn't think of.
2: Mm Mm-hmm yeah they they still <laughs> lost anyway
0: um but they almost won they if you watch that challenge they come so close to morgan is like inches away from winning and they get stuck in the sand they almost it, won that challenge
2: it is it is funny though that, that that the stand makes a difference they do all that shit at the beginning you know going through the woods and blah blah then drake is you know totally in front morgan behind
0: yeah point that out i'm not sure everyone actually knows that joke so
2: that that's a totally fun producer joke if you see that like you know in early Survivors, especially in the first season in, Bo- or first season in Borneo, you know, there's a lot of like, you know, it says Toggy leading or, you know, it says, uh, you know, Pagong trailing, and you know, it's sometimes they'll flash on the screen, you know, which tribe is ahead. Well, in this uh, cannon challenge, they do that. They say, like, Drake leading and stuff like that. And, you know, another point, they say Drake leading. But then when uh, the Morgan men all decide to drop Trow and they've got like the blur action over their junk area, you see this part where you see Drake leading. And then instead of them saying Drake leading, you're seeing Morgan pushing the cannon. And you see the men with their blurred out asses is like the big part on the screen. And it says Morgan behind. <laughs> Yet, yet something else I did not put on the Funny 115. That is on purpose, and that is fucking hilarious.
0: Yeah, I kind of I kind of forgot. I, I thought I had written that as an entry, but I kind of forgot about it. But yeah, I'm sure 95% of people listening to this know the Morgan Behind joke, but for the 5% who have never noticed that joke before, we just blew your minds. Inception.
2: Blah. That's anyway, what, that's what we do here. That's how we do. Yeah, but uh, the... You know, the, the the challenge really gets to the end there where they're on the sand, and you see Drake had this huge lead, and they were just basically making a beeline for the finish. Well, they got bogged down in the sand. That cannon is heavy. And then you see Morgan wisely go... Closer to the shore because the shore is, you know, got the wet sand, which is a little more firm and they could roll that cannon along. So Morgan takes a lead and you're like, oh, my God, Morgan can pull this out. But then Morgan kind of straightens himself out to get through the gate and they get bogged down in the wet sand, whereas Drake has pulled their shit out, gone to the firm sand. And they just basically go firm sand as close as they can and just inch across the finish line. And Drake takes the win. (laughs)
0: Well, it's because the Morgans got their ding-a-ling stuck on a vine.
1: (laughs) (laughs) If you were going to say it, I was going to. I know. Someone has to go there. (laughs) But, yeah, no, I mean, it's really, I think, Mario, we were talking about this pregame. Mario, you were saying about how you forgot how close to a finish it is. It's a pretty epic finish there with the both of them going back and forth of who's in the lead. Yeah, people forget that Morgan came really close to winning
2: that. They did. They did. I mean, that one is a toss-up. And, you know, I think that Drake you know again it's, it's nothing and the thing is is that both tribes i mean you could see like savage just you know just like near tears you know uh near the cannon at the end i mean you see rupert and you see uh you know, John, and you see all the all the members of both tribes, I mean, they are spent. This is, you know, again, a, a tradition that I really enjoy for a first challenge in Survivor, which is just a an all-out grueling, you know, sort of uh, fest where, you know, you have to either carry something heavy or do something. I mean, they are just spent, both tribes, at the end of this. That's a coin flip. Uh, Drake did have kind of the lead most of the time, and they did get bogged down in the uh in the in the soft sand. But so did Morgan, too. So, I mean, you know, I think it just kind of evened out in the end and Drake was just a little bit better and got that win.
0: I will tell you my favorite part of that challenge. Everyone talks about Morgan behind as their funniest part. But the thing that I always love about this challenge, I didn't really notice it until this last couple viewings, is you remember when later in the Outcast twist when Ryan Shoulders wears the buff that says Die Jerks across the front? Sure. Which is one of my favorites because no one uses the word jerks anymore. That's like a... 1950s street tough. That's like an insult. So I was was amused that he uses jerks. But if you watch this challenge, there's a scene where the Drakes are kind of blocking the Morgans. The Morgans are stuck behind him, and the Drakes are trying to move rocks out of the way. And Ryan Shoulders is furious. And watch for it next time you see this episode. Ryan sees that the Drakes are blocking their path, and he says, move some rocks, jerks. And so that's the first appearance of him calling the Drakes. Ooh, what a burn. I know. Sick burn. Ryan Shoulders uses jerks twice in the season. This is the better one.
2: And when and when and when Savage saw him saying jerks, he just was like, That fucking limp noodle.
0: Savage is awesome.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, you see it, it's it's funny, you know, they they go and we get it again with a 90-minute episode, we get to see some Drake celebrations. So the Drakes win, they get to go back to camp, we get the great confessionals from Sandra about I hope their dingelings got stuck on a vine. But then we get over to Morgan because we have to uh uh figure out who's going home and you know, then, you know, Tawana and and, and stuff get down Jay, to the beach. And,
1: it's Tawanda.
2: Tawanda, yes. Tawanda goes down there and uh, Tawanda had been talking to Lily. But then she goes down to Savage and Rhino and, you know, Savage was earlier are like, did you see what we saw? What was that? Well, I saw our friend Ryan there. He uh, just uh, gave up halfway through. I was just like, why don't you move it? And he just was like, limp noodle.
1: <laughs> Which clearly is not an accurate depiction because Mario just said what Ryan O's or what Ryan S was doing at the challenge. He was yelling, "Die jerks!" So yeah, you know, yeah. move rock it. jerks. <laughs> yeah, no, but so. <laughs> yeah love 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 the scene when that when lil calls uh tawana tawanda tawanda um, but well, they call her lily yeah lily. lily and tawanda love those girls yeah but you know uh we, we discussed a little bit about this first episode uh before we recorded and you know jay and i were talking about what an epic episode it was and and mario you you said uh you know, it kind of loses steam halfway through uh half through the episode well, and that the vote off doesn't matter so defend yourself here
0: Yeah, I mean, it's a great episode. This is absolutely one of my favorite episodes in Survivor history. There's so much. But the ending is really anticlimactic because all the good stuff has happened. And then there's this, like five minutes back at the beach of savage talking crap about the limp noodle and then there's this little scuffle between tawanda and lily and then uh, nicole in there and then all of a sudden nicole's gone it's like well we didn't really care about any one of those three characters so it's it's kind of an anticlimactic ending to an otherwise fantastic episode it's that that was my point i you get past the immunity challenge there's really nothing left of this episode that's even remotely significant
1: i will say what is important that comes out of this and, and i watched this episode Because we had talked about this before I had rewatched it. And I watched it specifically to see what I could get out of the final scenes because you're right. Nicole going home doesn't really matter that much to the Morgan tribe or to the overall story of them. But the most important thing that comes out of it is some of the stuff they give us about Lil. You know, they talk Mm -hmm. about Lil does not have a a dishonest bone in her body. And, you know, I would believe Lil over anyone else. I believe Lil over Nicole. And it really, I mean, it, it really is not blatant. But if you really look into it, they're making this decision that. We don't you know, we're gonna vote off someone we don't trust, someone who's gonna, you know, turn on us, someone who will not be faithful to us, and that's why we're voting off Nicole over Lil. And if you look at the history of what happens with the Morgan tribe, obviously they, you know, I mean, with outcast twice it kind of it ruins everything because they do end up getting rid of Lil too. It's not like they held on her to the bitter end. But who ends up being the the one to to turn the their you know their back on the Morgan tribe and that would be Lily more than anyone that
2: I think has played the game of Survivor, Lillian Morris cuts a swath in this game that is just far and wide. Lil burns so many people, and sometimes it's intentional. A lot of times it is purely unintentional, which makes it even more fucking hilarious. But Lil just crushes people, and it is fantastic. And in this scene, she she is the one that gets out Nicole because, you know, people are throwing Lily's name out. as You know, ah, oh, well, Lily, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, Lil's like, I think I might want to vote out Tawanda. And she goes over to Nicole, and Nicole's like, I'd be down with voting out Tawana, And Lil's like, all right, that's fine. Then Lil just goes over to Tawana and is like, well, Nicole mentioned getting you out. And, I mean, Lil's not playing a game. She's literally just talking, right? And Tawana's like... <laughs> Wait, what the fuck did Nicole say? And it's like Lil is just this, you know, elder statesman, scoutmaster, lady stuff like that. And I mean, that's the, they don't believe that Lil's got a dishonest one in her body. And she's literally not like lying. I mean, the, Nicole is entertaining voting Tawanda out because she's annoying. But like, Lil just goes over there and she's like, yeah, uh, yeah, she was saying you, Tawanda. And Tawanda's like, oh, fuck no. And Tawanda then flips the entire vote onto Nicole. And it's all because Lil is running her mouth inadvertently. It's fantastic. Poor Nicole. I had such high hopes for Nicole. Nicole,
0: this is interesting. In all the history of Survivor, there's been one contestant who I've had the most in common with, and that's Nicole. And it's funny. she was She's from my hometown. She's from Bellevue, Washington. She went to the exact same college I did, Santa Clara University, which is not a big school, and it's an odd combination to go from Washington State down to this little school in California. And she happens to have the exact same bio that I have. And I had such high hopes for Nicole. And then she has like three scenes and she's gone in the first episode. So, so much for, so much for my dreams.
2: And mm-hmm. neither of you wear a bra.
0: Exactly. As far as you know. Although I should point out that in the uh, final tribal council, Ryan Shoulders admits he did not give us 110%, and somewhere Lou Ferrigno was crying. <laughs>
1: And we we close out this episode with uh, the soundtrack from Amazon which they used for the first three episodes strangely uh, to close yes. up the episode. Someone should oh. have got fired for that, but <laughs> All right, before we sign off on episode
0: 1, I got to say The Immunity Idol, one of my favorite in Survivor history. It's just a fucking
2: axe with a skull attached to it.
1: Now would Joanna touch that? I mean, does that count?
2: With it with a with like a doubloon in one of the skull's eyes, like yeah, that's yeah. that's that's pretty badass.
0: Again, they just went with this theme and they ran with it. They had a, such a fun time with this season.
2: That's good. It's good. No, well, the vote gets turned and Nicole's out, and uh, Jeff Probst is sad. But uh, we're going to have sh- to shoulder on. Ryan, shoulder's on. <laughs> yes. The limp noodle episode coming up. <laughs> episode two, Skinny Ryan, who opens it by getting, you know, tree mail, And, and for those of you who, who, who want to see a, a snapshot back in time to the early 2000s, anyone who followed HomestarRunner.com, there's Ryan Shoulders getting tree mail, imitating Strong Bad. Geek moment over. Let's continue the episode.
1: By the way, it's C-Mail this season. The only season that we don't call it Tree-Mail.
2: Ah, yes. C-Mail. It's Johnny Fairplay. But, you know, Brian S. in this thing is, what, what, the Tree-Mail? And he calls it Tree-Mail still, but we gotta keep going.
0: By the way, since you're pointing out Ryan Shoulders' geek moments, Paul Paul's seen this. Uh, on, on the bio page for the players back in the day, when, you know, people would put their favorite movies, favorite hobbies, stuff like that, Ryan Shoulders, rather than then list uh his favorite color he wrote it in what hexadecimal code or something isn't that what that is Where he wrote oh. like yeah he wrote his he didn't write green or orange whatever his favorite color was he wrote the code the, the actual code that the computer uses to okay read that, yeah yeah, that yeah. no i do remember that now so there's another ryan shoulders geek moment for you
1: Yeah, you know, like Ryan Shull was a little bit, you know, before his time. I think. I mean, now, I mean, that is, it is like the rage in reality TV to have these huge super fan geeky types on the show, and and there really was no appreciation for Ryan at the time, or or even now, unless you, if you go back and you kind of, if you don't, if you don't really, because it's alluded to in the show, and in his final words, he says he knows this game inside and out, but until you realize that ryan is a super fan of the show you can't really, you don't really feel bad for him but once you know that fact and you see his kind of story and what he goes through you kind of feel bad for him because it makes sense why he's there
0: yeah and he's kind of been forgotten over the time over time but he was like the first cochran he was really the first super fan i think Kind of the stay-at-home, internet guy, super fan to be cast on the show. Because,
2: again, Rob C. was not a huge Survivor fan. He was a big brother fan. He's a big brother fan. Yeah, him, Ryan Ryan Schultz was a big Survivor fan, and he he came on here to do it. And, I mean, the sad part is, and I'm going to get more into Austin bashing in here, is that, I mean, Ryan is, you know, not very physically strong and we're going to do a reward challenge where he doesn't do very well but granted none of the morgans really do super well in this challenge but he leads off and so it's very glaring in the audience and whatnot but it's like ryan ryan was doing all right after day six and austin was already not doing so well after day six so there you go and i guess we're going to go right to the reward challenge you're talking about the famous dive down and
0: retrieve items although i should point out right before this isn't something i just caught in my notes Right before the reward challenge, there's a scene of Rupert coming back from, to camp. He's caught all these fish for the drakes. And right there in the top of his basket is a starfish. I'm like, yeah, way to go, Rupert. You caught a fucking starfish.
2: <laughs> well, and then, and then there's the thing where, like, like, Sean's looking, you know, first of all, there's, like, Sean and Burton who are, like, sitting there. And I'm not saying they're being lazy because there's just the one spear, right? And Rupert's hogging it. So I'm not sitting here uh, uh, calling him lazy. But it's great because Rupert's catching the fish. And, like, he comes in at some point and you see Sean you go, hey, Rupert, nice job with the fish. You know, and Rupert's like, all right, thanks. And then, like, he's pointing out fish. He's like, that one's good. Well, this one, this one's good. No, that one. Oh, yeah, that one's good. No, no, I meant that one. Not that. You know, I'm like, you can't, they can't decide what fish is best. Starfish is the best. (laughs) Of course.
0: (laughs) Rupert hunted that thing down and chased it for hours.
2: What you don't realize is if you cut the leg off, it'll grow a whole new starfish. Oh, my God. (laughs) So and then and then of course you get the uh, the, the the great lead in to uh, this reward challenge by uh, them bag- bashing on Skinny Ryan and I think Austin's just like look I like the kid he's a good kid but uh, his his best day is uh, is my worst day pretty
0: much
2: and then so we get to the ro- no,
1: but Austin clarifies that's that's no knock on him it's just how it is yeah,
2: yeah. it's no knock on him he's not just a knock on...
0: at all he just is horrible.
2: <laughs> it's, it's, it's not a knock on it's just I'm great. But they get to the reward challenge, and the reward challenge is there's a chest on the bottom of the ocean, there's like five things, like a candelabra and pearls and, you know, things like that, and basically one by one, a member has to go swim out there, dive down, retrieve the item, and then put it in the chest, and then once it, everything's in the chest, the entire tribe has to go out there, get the chest, and bring it back to shore.
1: And Ryan S. redeems himself and shows his it's- tribe that he deserves to be here. He's well, like Gabriel that... under the water. <laughs> <laughs> He's like Gabriel. He's like Gabriel like...
2: 2.0. <laughs> I almost got that one item. I'll go back again. <laughs> yeah, I <know.
0: laughs> Although I have to point out, this is the first challenge where we see the tasty combination of Lil in the Boy Scout uniform and the panties. And the, panties. the
1: granny panties, yeah
2: tasty. But to, but to his effort, and I've already said that I have no, no knock really against Rhino. I, I, I like Rhino quite a bit, but Ryan cannot, you know, Ryan tries to, Ryan's shoulders tries to drive, dive down and get the first item, and he fails twice. And basically the, the challenge is over. There's no way Morgan is recovering from this time, time lost, right? But finally Ryan on like his third or fourth try or whatever gets the item but then he can't put it in the chest. So we have like three or four or five attempts of Ryan Shoulders diving down and not doing what he needed to do. And basically then Jeff throws him a bone and basically says you can come in and give someone else the item, right? So then Ryan Shoulders swims in. He, ta- he cans his item off to Rhino who is going to go out there and Rhino gets the item in the chest but then Rhino fails a couple time like Rhino is having trouble as well. And it's probably because he's spent trying to cover up for Ryan Shoulders. But it's not like, you know, some great swimmer uh, that went out there and you know put Ryan Shoulders' item in the chest, dove down, got a second item, put it in the chest and got back. Like Rhino had trouble with it as well. Like Morgan just had problems and Drake just dusts them. I like that Ryan Shoulders didn't have enough weight to
0: have gravity
2: work for him. Right. It's like I,
0: I can't go down. I can't go I just Bob. That's just what I am. I know. All right, so yeah, so Drake wins this by what about fifty-five items? It's not even close.
2: Yeah, there were only five items, and Drake wins it by fifty-five. But it's we also we also learned that not only do they get the reward, which was uh, oh god, what was the reward this time? Well, they
1: actually they don't give a reward more than just the first clue to the treasure map oh and god, the looting. The treasure map.
2: Yes, the the looting is what I was going to try to get. Basically, then Jeff says, "What we're going to do from now on is the tribal reward challenges. Not only do you win the flipping reward or whatever, but also a member will go over to the other camp and they get to take one thing from their camp. And Drake wins, and it's like this is just this is this is merciful at the time because because uh, Morgan has nothing, and they're going to send someone over, and it's great because the first person they send over, Sandra.
0: Well, if you recall, there's a scene right at the start, right before they send Sandra, where Where you see the dichotomy between John, the villain, and Rupert, the good guy, where what should we take from them? And John's first instinct is, take their tarp and hurt them. And Rupert's like, we don't need to hurt them. So just you'll see a dichotomy. The John versus Rupert thing starts right around
2: there. But what's interesting is that Sandra then takes the tarp. (laughs) Takes the tarp. That's right. Sandra goes
1: and It was fun to be a pirate.
2: (laughs) Well, what's great is that... What's great is this petulance that goes on. Like, it's a really, really fun scene because Sandra comes over and she's just looking around and, you know, they're trying to play it off and all this nice stuff. And, you know, Austin's like, they better not take the tap and stuff like that. And then finally, Sandra's just like, you know what? I'm taking the
1: tarp. <laughs> I, want, she, I, like, I want that baby right there.
2: Yeah, because she was I think she was looking for a water jug, but they didn't Where have the a second f- water jug. is deal.
1: the water jug?
2: So then she realized they didn't have a second water jug. So then she decides to take the tarp. And then, you know, they basically like, all right, you can take the tarp, but we're not helping you. And she's like, that's fine. And they didn't realize that she has to, like, take apart their entire shelter to get the tarp. And then they're getting pissed. Like, you know, you don't have to, you know, destroy it. And she's like, I'll just get out of your hair in two seconds. And it's basically like, you know, if you had just assisted in taking the shelter down, she wouldn't have wrecked it. That, so I got to do
1: what I got to do. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. This, this whole scene is so great here. So first they tell her that, right, she has to take it down. And she says, damn, didn't think I came out here do some work and um so this just you know doing a part that they get kind of really mad about that and they're talking about how she's being really snatchy and stuff and like she's going to ruin our shelter she's going to ruin it and that's when she says the line that Mario just said um hey i got to do what i got to do right and then you get that yeah. you know cut to andrew not necessarily <laughs> and then uh, and then uh, she goes to use the knife and uh, towa jumps up and says these are our knives and then Sandra has the great confessional. She's kind of crazy with her hair tied up and like one bun off to the side. She's like, and then the black girl jumps up. She's like, no, 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 you're not, you're, uh, you're not gonna uh, use our knives, and you better not cut our rope. And I said, okay, the tarp will come down regardless. <laughs> I love no truer word
0: has ever been spoken than Tawana's next confessional. She is such a bitch. <laughs> I just, <laughs> I just love the exasperated way she says that,
2: like sandra was the perfect person to go out there and do that
1: (laughs) and i like i question whether or not this was actually like said to them because you can't you don't see sandra actually say it it could have been added in later but they they like have sandra say as she's folding up the tarp says like you don't know how good you have it until you see others all right goodbye she's like see you (laughs) see you tomorrow bye adios goodbye (laughs) take care and adios yeah there's another great awesome
0: there's another great Sandra moment right there where you know she's looking around for what to take, And you know, most, most characters don't swear just as an adjective, but Sandra does. where she's looking around, she's like, "Where the f is the water jug?" <laughs> just little Sandra, like again, I have to point out the, one of the only moms to ever win Survivor right there biggest potty mouth in survivor <laughs> history. one of the two mother, I think, mother winners. There might have been I think Denise, was she a mother, but at yeah. the time, Tina and Sandra were the only moms who won Survivor for a long time.
2: Yeah, she wins, and uh, it's a really fun scene. And you see, just Drake like, what the fuck? But it's like, come on, Drake! Like, or sorry, so, come on, Morgan, get it together. But then we get back to Drake, and we have we have we have Speargate.
0: Oh wait, but we over we uh, overlooked Morgan, uh, Austin threatening to quit for the first time.
2: Oh well, Austin threatens to quit yeah. because Austin is is a winner and survivor.
0: Yeah, we'll get more. Uh, there'll be plenty of time to hit for him to quit later. But yeah, so it starts right here. So now yeah. we go back to Drake, and now, like you said, we get Speargate.
1: This is a great scene from start to finish. It's just so typical Sean when he comes back. And just the way he presents this about losing the thing and, and you know, uh, Rupert's so mad about it, Like, well, did you even look for it and stuff? And I'll float right to the bottom and all this stuff. And then, you know, Rupert's really mad and goes. And Sean's like, I know. That's why I spent the, the past hour looking for it. Like, oh, oh yeah, yeah Chris- Sean. I'm sure you spent an hour looking for it. <laughs> Great Krista quote here. Sean is the biggest puss I've ever met in my entire life.
2: <laughs> Sean is the biggest puss. <laughs> but like, um, yeah, like, but you see, also Rupert. Like again, America has fallen in love with Rupert. So, so Rupert can do no wrong, and and. And that's fine. And that's, that's how we have to present it at this time. I love, I mean, my favorite, after this season was over, my favorite survivor was Rupert. I cannot tell a lie. I mean, everyone loved Rupert, but in the scene, you know, you see sort of, you know, as Rupert has played the game a second time and a third time and possibly a fourth, fifth, eighth time by the time we're uh, doing, you know, you're listening to this podcast, uh, you know, Rupert his words have shown and you do see it here like I don't feel like the editors are hiding it it's just we chose to ignore it because you know all the fun giggly Rupert is what we're really focusing on but you can see the scene like Rupert's pissed that Sean has lost the tip of the spear and and he, as he should be it's a good food source thing and it's Rupert's thing he likes the spear and stuff like that but you see like Sean explaining how he lost it and you see like Rupert just like tearing little bits off the log and he's like that's why I wanted to be the only one to use it," you know and you're like he's like, being a petulant child in the scene as well just basically being like and he's like <laughs> ripping things off the log just he's throwing a tantrum he's literally throwing a tantrum and yet we're all like oh yeah fucking Sean you lost the spear you dick it took his red swing line stapler it was horrible <laughs> it, it was. <laughs> I be, I'm gonna set the building on fire
0: but, yeah, it's funny. You get just shots of Rupert looking so sad and the sad music. And it's the, the Rupert has a sad scene. And so he's going to go out. He's going to find his spear. And he does five or six football fields. And then the music comes and the music saves Rupert. He has found the spear. And he comes back. And, again, I have so many favorite quotes from this season. And this is one of them. Where, oh, God, do it. It's yeah, great. Sean's like, where was
1: it? Rupert's like,
0: in the ocean.
1: Uh-huh. <laughs> I underlined that one. In the yeah. ocean! Yeah, we where in the ocean? comes back. And then Did you... just, Rupert doesn't answer. He just starts making out with the thing. <laughs> Did you. I
2: mean, America just fell starts in love. starts deep throating it. <laughs> oh, was it like Zoe with a Snicker Bar? <laughs> no!
0: Leave
1: Zoe out of this.
0: Oh, um... Um, um. I think we can go spear some lobster.
2: <laughs> but, like. Real quick, did you notice when when they were watching Rupert, like, doing his group pattern, finding the spear, and he's, you know, like, bobbing on the water that they were, you know, inserting the whale noise? Yeah. <laughs> no, I did not. Go back. Listen. Yeah. It's fantastic. That's what you want in a show about the fat
0: guy getting bullied is jokes that bully the fat guy.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> well done, editors.
2: <laughs> I'm telling you it's there. I'm not making it up. <laughs> But yeah, so he finds uh, it, and you know, America falls in love with Rupert because he finds the spear, and of course, he lets out the famous Rupert roar: "Hooray!"
1: And we it cuts uh, almost immediately right from this to the to a very bizarre immunity challenge.
2: I love this immunity challenge. I think it's this very is, like,
1: interesting. It, and when I watched, it, I kind of like always forget. I was like, "Oh, I forgot this challenge happened." It's nothing that we've ever seen happen again. But I think it's a very forgettable challenge in Survivor history.
2: It's forgettable, but yet I think that again, I it's it's. It's going with the theme. I like that it's going with the theme. I think, I think Paul is right. It just kind of plays out. It's real quick. It's done, and, and we move on. But you know, just the fact that they're kind of playing with the theme more, I mean, I, th- I just feel like there's thought put into it. Maybe it didn't, wasn't executed correctly, but I enjoyed the thought behind it.
0: Yeah, I, I was watching it just yesterday. I didn't even remember this challenge, just like oh, sure. Paul said. I, I had no memory of this challenge whatsoever.
2: Super forgettable. I'm not yeah. saying that it's, not, it, it's, it's super memorable, but when you look at it, you're like, well, that's, that's clever. Well done. Way to play with the theme a little bit. You know what's funny? I wrote down on my notes, huh, forgettable challenge. And it's so forgettable, I still don't remember what it was now, and I just watched it yesterday. <laughs> so they had one person on a raft tied yeah, up, mm-hmm. right? And then they had two people like tied up, kind of dangling off the raft, and then... Basically, everyone that wasn't tied up has to basically pull a rope and pull the opposing tribe out to sea anymore. The person on the that's on the raft tied up has to loosen themselves free and then untie the other three. They have to grab a bamboo little chute and then swim it to shore and then untie that bamboo chute. It's got coordinates, and then there were ropes on the raft that they were tied up in. They have to bring those in, and then they have to use the coordinates to kind of wrap the ropes around posts, and that'll create a... Cross grid where yeah. they need to annex where they need to dig up uh, a flag and then they have to put the flag in this like flag holder and then, you know, plant the flag and they win.
1: Actually, probably the most memorable part of the challenge is that this is where Tawana's opening, you know, intro comes from at the end of the song where she looks like she's pulling on the rope and then the, you know, the ladder or then the, the cannon goes off. Mm-hmm. It's from this challenge when she's pulling on the rope. Yeah, that's right.
0: I'm, I'm sure we'll all remember where we were the first time we saw that
2: Tawana opening job montage shot. Tawanda. To the so so and it 's weird because you know the challenge starts, and savage gets savage and Rupert are the two uh, members of their of the tribes that are the basically tied up person that needs to be the catalyst out there on the shore, and Savage gets out first for, uh, more more than Rupert, but you know, the Drake tribe has pulled Savage out further from the water and then Savage has trouble getting everything going and, and it's actually Morgan that gets in first, but Morgan cannot untie. They literally can't untie the coordinates and then they start digging and then they can't find the damn flag when they dig like Drake just, you know, comes and just dusts them on it. But you know, maybe, maybe Burton's a good digger. I don't know. Burton. Awesome.
0: Again, we'll throw this out there for people who don't really pay attention to remember Pearl Islands, but does Burton actually ever lose a challenge he's in? Burton is a fantastic challenge god.
2: Yeah, he's he's sitting out of the one they throw. So yeah, you're right.
0: Yeah, he never loses. A lot of people at the time thought, well, Drake wins all these challenges because they had Rupert, but no, it's Burton. And it, it becomes really obvious when you watch the season and then when Burton comes back later and just dusts everyone in
2: the challenges. So, yeah, wow. Just kinda
0: keep that yeah, kinda keep that in mind as Burton is really the challenge god here in this season.
2: Yeah, well, Drake wins again. I mean, this is the third in a row, Drake. I mean, Morgan, poor Morgan. And the immunity challenge, like you said, the cannon challenge, they were pretty close. The reward challenge, they were not close. This challenge, they were fairly close, but I mean, Drake still did beat them by quite a bit. So Morgan is is 0 for 3, looking pretty damn inept, and uh, they're going to Tribal Council, and I have a good feeling about Ryan Shoulders. Yes. Well, yeah. I, I hardly
0: have any notes for this episode. I just wrote: Austin wants to quit. Austin is a puss. Lil says no. Austin's just being, just being weak. We don't want to keep Austin, but then they keep Austin anyway and get rid of the limp
2: noodle, and that's really the whole half, of the whole rest of this episode. I mean, this is without getting into too much. I mean, this is Savage's gamble. And and this is, you know, where the whole season is is fixed upon, is now we have have 26 seasons of Survivor. We see things under our belt. Austin has now basically said several times, I would like to quit. I would like to leave the game. I don't want to be here anymore. Please vote me out. I, I want to quit. And Savage looks at that and says, you know, yeah, it sucks that someone doesn't want to be here. But the problem is, is that Austin is the biggest and strongest, you know, member on this tribe. And... You're looking at the other tribe that's got Burton and Rupert and stuff like that. It's hard to just vote that guy out, right? And you know Savage has got an alliance with him, and so Savage is basically saying, "I need Austin to stay in this game." So Savage basically takes a gamble. He's like, "Do I vote out the problem, or do I try to rally the problem?" And you see Savage, you know, in in, in not just this episode, but in the next couple episodes, try to pep talk Austin. On the way, like, dude, we can do this. You can do this. You're the man. You can do this. And that was his gamble. Basically, I am going to convince Austin that he really wants to be here. And the problem is is that it ultimately doesn't pay off. but well, I mean, see, that's
0: the thing. I would argue that it does work that he does rally Austin to stay, and they actually rally to the point where they catch them five to fire, five to five or whatever at a certain point. So, yeah, I mean, it's a gamble. You could argue if it worked or not, but i would I would agree with you. It was a big gamble Savage took, although I would add to what you said, that he saw Aust- Austin as the problem. He also saw Skinny Ryan as the problem, so it wasn't necessarily Austin was the only problem.
2: Right, and I'm not I'm not saying that, like, Andrew Savage lost the game because he voted out Skinny Ryan over Austin. Like, <laughs> no. But, you know, I, I think that, you know, voting out Lil over Austin is, is an interesting conundrum at that point, because, you know, as other tribes have turned it around before in Survivor, it's like, well, if we're not winning with Austin, then what's the, you know, you gotta yeah. change something and all that sort of stuff but yeah this vote where they vote out skinny ryan is something but i do notice do notice when they get to tribal council jeff asks andrew and says what are you doing tonight what are you voting out and andrew says i'm voting out the weakest link which you can argue is ryan shoulders i'm not saying he's lying but then he says i don't care if you're 100 pounds or 250 pounds if you don't want to be here you got to go and he votes out ryan shoulders who wants to be here
0: but wait a minute! That's remember in episode one, Andrew said uh, Ryan Shoulders gave up. He didn't give a hundred percent. Everyone else, so he, I think, he believes that Ryan Shoulders was also kind of giving up because he was never giving his full effort. That in defense of Savage a little bit.
2: I can see that. That I, yeah. I actually can see that. And it, the problem is, is that like I'm looking at it basically saying like. He's like, the weakest link's gotta go. And it's like the weakest link is Austin, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> and, 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 and it's it's again Savage's gamble. And you know, if I were out there and in Savage's position, I think that a bunch of the times, you know, six, seven times out of ten, I would probably take that gamble as well. I don't I'm sitting here saying, you know, he absolutely made the wrong call and what the fuck was he thinking, but that was his thinking and it was like, boy, that didn't pay off, buddy. I
1: think he should yes, have based he... his vote on who was not fully clothed. <laughs> <laughs>
0: that's the thing like um we never see there's no evidence that ryan shoulders gives up or doesn't give us well, all we see is confessionals from ryan saying how much he loves this how much how hard he's trying how much he loves to be here but that's clearly not the way that savage saw him so it's an interesting little thing where we're being told one way of the story that doesn't really match what we see so it's like like, you see Savage just absolutely wants nothing to do with Ryan Shoulders because he's weak and he, he's giving up, but that's not what we see in the confessional. So it's just one of those little editor farts where it's not quite the story that what we see isn't what, what was going
2: on. Sure, sure, sure. Yes, Ryan Shoulders was not long for this game, you know, especially on that tribe with Savage and Rhino and Austin and Tawana being a... Uh... Force. I mean, that is, that is, is, that is as boy, boys, boys and girls club as you can get, you know, the, the popular, uh, better-looking Adonis types. And, you know, poor Ryan Shoulders, you're done.
0: And then Lil, of course, at Tribal Council says, there's one thing that's holding us back, why we're not winning. And Jeff's like, what's that? And Lil's like, we need to fish a little more. <laughs> so Lil, of course, has her finger
1: on the pulse of how Survivor works. You need to fish a little more. <laughs> Jeff uh, gives it to her. That's it?
2: <laughs> yes. And, and fishing Lil will go. Yes.
0: yeah that's She'll gonna be turn out episode. great for her <clears throat> all right done with episode two ryan shoulders a a interesting little footnote in survivor history and we're moving on to the famous lil episode and one thing that i like to say it's like i was rewatching the season this this last week and just kind of catching up and through the first two episodes i'm like you know there were some good moments with characters there's some quirky little scenes but through two episodes, I didn't think this was really an outstanding season. I mean, it had a good start, but it, it really wasn't grabbing me. And I, I was trying to think, why do I love this season so much? And then we hit episode three. And episode three, in my opinion, is the one where it really takes off and it never lets up the rest of the season.
2: It's good. And it, and it starts with the theme. I mean, you know, in episode three, it starts with Lil talking with, with, with Andrew, basically being upset that they voted out you know, her friend Ryan and Andrew's like, Well, Ryan had to go and you know, he's right. And Lil's like, Yeah, but Austin, he quit. And then Andrew is basically backpedaling on his alliance mate and blah blah blah. And he says, There's a difference between quitting and pulling the trigger and actually quitting. <laughs> yeah, I think that's Savage just trying to save face. <laughs> sure. Yeah.
1: I was, oh no he I didn't was, quit. I was thinking about watching this with Savage and part of the reason that I kind of like just get turned off by him. It's like it's almost like he's a used car salesman or a slimy politician that that what he's representing or what he's working for is a piece of crap, which is the Morgan tribe. But he really does try hard to spin it in a positive way and make it seem like some good is coming out of it. So he's really trying to, you know, sell the shitty piece of car, you know, to someone. Well, you know, the the shitty car being Austin saying like, well, you know, it's it's not that it's water, you know, it's it's not that it's really damaged from the flood it was in. It, you know, it, it really, it, it would it was helpful for the car. It made it strong. And and you know it, it just it just really isn't adding up the way he's trying to to you know to sell Austin here, but it's what he had to do um, after he uh, you know decided to stick up for Austin and and turn him on the right track.
0: See, right there, that's the fundamental difference in why we disagree about Savage. I don't believe he's selling anything. I think he truly believes this. He believes in all his heart that this tribe can win. Well, that makes him so, more annoying to me, so. Well, I know, yeah. But that—that, that, yeah, I finally put the finger on the fundamental difference, that I really do believe that he thinks they will win and they have the best tribe and that he can rally them.
2: Well, and that it, it's got to be tough for him as well, because before he was anointed leader and whatnot, I mean, Austin, as you can see, Austin seems like, you know a a pretty nice dude and you know he's i I felt like you know again he's running around on on the beach on day one and i mean he got in that village and yeah he didn't have the smartest uh, plan of attack but you know you can see his you know his incredible personality come through and it's like once they got on the island and they lost that first challenge it was all downhill for for austin then he was done he was checked out and he wanted to quit and then it's a matter of just getting him unchecked out but it's like i'm sure you know uh, all the Morgans that saw him on days one, one and two, and and a little bit of three, were like, "Wow, this guy is you know a game changer." But uh, uh, he just never really recovered from that. And he almost does at the end of this episode, episode three. He has a really
0: nice moment in episode three. I'll, we'll get to that in a second. Although I, I guess at this point we should talk about maybe the most anticlimactic uh, storyline twist in Survivor history: this buried treasure. Which we're going to spend a lot of the next three episodes talking about, <laughs> and it, which totally fizzles out like a fart and goes nowhere.
2: Uh, well, they got it. They it was dress rehearsal for All Stars, right? Like we all can't wait for All Stars, right, Mark? <laughs> yeah, Meyer? of
0: course. There's, I have to point out one of my favorite ironic moments in Survivor history, where you know they're they're going out and looking. The Drakes have their clue to the treasure. They're looking for their buried treasure, and you know the Drakes are are digging around on the beach, and Rupert scoffs at this. He's like, why would they bar- dig on the beach? He's like, anyone knows you bury something on the beach, it's just going to get wet and washed out to shore, which is funny as shit when you realize Rupert builds a shelter on the beach the very next season. <laughs> how, so I just want point to out, point out that small bit of irony right there. How dare you?
2: How, what, Rupert? I bash Rupert? How dare you bash America's sweetheart?
0: <laughs> he has food in his beard. <laughs>
2: look, look, that... That shelter in All-Stars was perfectly fine. I mean, they didn't die that night. At what price? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. No, it, but then, you know, they're 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 out looking for that and Rupert's scoffing, but then we get a good John and Sandra argument here.
0: Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah, this is a uh, you know, the 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 uh, legacy, the legend of Sandra. So many time you know, so many people love her, and again, nobody. I couldn't give a shit that she's won Survivor twice. Good for her. She won Survivor twice. I love her as a character, and i have always. And you know loved what, and, Margo,
1: you love Sandra even before the time when it, when it was popular to like Sandra, and I mean, well, by the end of the season, we'll talk about the legacy of Sandra and whatnot. But um, I mean, you were the one who really, you know, turned me on to Sandra in the beginning, not in mm-hmm. a sexual way, but, yes. um, <laughs> but. Uh, but really, because, I mean, it, 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 she really is on first watch. I mean, she's really funny and stuff, but until you really, you know, pay attention to her and then you go back and you watch it, and all the funny stuff she says, she just becomes an incredible, incredible character. And then the fact that she's a mother and compared to Tina <laughs> Wesson, that's all kinds of fun, yeah. Mario. You know about yeah, that's that. The-
0: yeah, that's the thing. There, There's, again, the two moms that won in Survivor, Tina and Sandra. I had fun comparing them on the Funny 115. But, yeah, there were really two characters kind of in Survivor history that I think, you know, I have a small, maybe a tiny little part in kind of influencing kind of the way they were remembered. Chris Doherty was the big one later. I, I mean, he was so hated. No one liked Chris Doherty for so many years. I worked so hard to kind of get people to appreciate him. But Sandra, to a lesser extent, because she was just kind of seen as a forgettable Floating winner like Vesepia for for a long time people didn 't really notice how funny she had been and so it's, it's through me and lots of other people kind of building her up and mentioning all her funny scenes, but yeah, maybe one of her greatest is this episode right here, the fight with Johnny Fairplay over who the we people forget it how it started, which was. Sandra and John both arguing that the other person was a weaker swimmer. That, <laughs> that John said Sandra sucks in the water. She says he sucks in the water. Mm-hmm. And then they just, he just starts trying to talk over her and be loud. And then she snaps and goes, I can get loud too. What the fuck? And she gets right in his face. And just one of those <laughs> iconic Sandra moments that Screw everyone sees. Screw John because he's an <laughs>
1: ass.
2: And then John at the end says, you know, like, you always have to get the last word. Then shut up, so let me do it.
0: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Everything that comes out of his mouth is just ridiculous.
2: (laughs) In John's defense, um, again, to plug them again, uh, Dom and Colin did a retrospective with uh, Johnny Fairplay, which is my favorite episode they've done just because I love Johnny Fairplay. And Johnny Fairplay does defend himself in here. He basically says that when they were kicked off the boat – at the, at, in the first episode, when they were when they shipwrecked themselves, I suppose uh, Michelle had her glasses and she was afraid that her glasses were going to get broken uh, on the way in, and so she asked John and said, "Do you have a safe way of getting these to shore?" And John had like those high socks that he was wearing, yes. and he said, "Sure, I'll put your glasses in my socks." And I just won't kick. I'll just use my arms, right? So then John basically said that he was just wiped out from the thing because he basically made the entire swim without using his legs because he was holding on to Michelle's glasses and his socks. And that's where this argument comes from, where Sandra's like, I beat you on the beach. And John, John's like, you barely beat me, and I wasn't using my legs.
0: Yeah, yeah. Sandra, it's, Sandra and John are funny because... I've never got the sense they really dislike each other that much. They're like a married couple. They kind of need to exi- need each other to exist because they're like a weird little dynamic. And it's funny because when you watch their arguments, they don't argue like lesser players. Like other people argue just to fight and scream on Survivor. There's always more subtext with John and Sandra when they're arguing. Like John is clearly the smallest guy on the Drakes and he knows it. And he's probably one of the weakest athletes. So he's defending himself like I'm not the weakest, you're weakest because he's He's not doing it to be mean. He's trying to defend his position in the tribe and make it so he's not going to be the first target. And Sandra, of course, is probably doing the exact same thing. She realizes, oh, John's trying to throw me under the bus. Fuck that. I'm going to throw him under the bus. Just, they're just trying to improve their position in the tribe. So this is one of those fights that I don't necessarily think is personal. It's two really good players both really being uh, aware of where their situation is in the tribe and trying to get out of it.
2: And then, of course, we get the fun money shot from Johnny Fairplay in his confessional where he says she's not making it to the end.
0: Oh, yeah. Her days are numbered. We have bigger threats to get rid of. She's not one of the final four, and I got a mill that she won't be the final one. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Now, it's funny when that quote, that's, I mean, obviously one of the more obvious winner quotes in Survivor history. A lot of people didn't see it that way at the time. They thought, you know, that's just John trash talking. You know, him them just building up this fight. <clears throat> now, what if you read my column from that week, my my strategy column? I didn't really pick up that was a winner quote either. It's obvious as it is now. What that that confessional pointed out to me was that John is in the power alliance and he knows it. And it's just one of those. That was my case that John Fairplay, Johnny Fairplay is the great new player of the season. He's an alliance. He's giving it away. The editors are giving away that John is part of this alliance. So I didn't even catch that was a real obvious winner quote. I just caught that as John is controlling, calling the shots right now, and he's going to be the one doing the narrative.
2: Another nugget that John does drop in that Dominican podcast is saying that you know Drake does not go to Jake has not gone to tribal council these first two episodes we're in episode 3 now and they're still not going to go and John did say that Sandra was on the outs at the very beginning of this game and if they had gone those first couple times Sandra more than likely would have gone but by the time they went uh, alliances had formed so yes.
0: That is true, and, and I'll point out in a later episode, four or five, I forget. John mentions who his alliance is, and Sandra is one of the names he mentions. So she's definitely in his alliance eventually.
2: Yes, yes, and that's and that's what he says. I mean, he doesn't say like, oh well, blah blah, but it's like it. You know, he basically gives the opinion that had Drake gone, you know, maybe lost that canon challenge in episode one, he basically is saying that Sandra would have gone home. Now, this is him doing a retrospective years later, trying to say things. I mean. Uh, I'm not saying that he's 100% accurate, but I actually, it, there's actually, I think, some some traction behind that. I mean, that's Sandra's big weakness, right? Like, Sandra needs yeah. to survive the first couple days of the game, and if she does, she's super dangerous at that point. But uh, fair play is basically saying that, uh, you know, if, if, if the situation presented itself, she wasn't long for the game, but it didn't, and she was very long for the game.
0: Yeah, no, that definitely passes the sniff test, just with so obvious, like common sense. Yeah, if, if, drake had lost the first challenge she obviously would have been one of the targets now whether we she would have gone who knows but yeah as great a player as sandra is two-time winner never been voted out she's got to get past that first immunity challenge or tribal council so that was the thing he could be right we don't know
2: and if she went then we wouldn't have paul's impersonation of her and you know america would be would be sadder
0: screw you jay because you're an ass Paul would have never seen a Latina person in his life if not for you. Sure. <laughs> Paul, you always try to get the last word on me. Alright, so we're up to the reward challenge. This is an awesome one. The boats filled with corks that they
1: try to pull out the other tribes' I corks. love, love, love this challenge, and I'm so bummed that they have not repeated this. I think this challenge would even be, you know... Awesome when, when they've had different situations where there have been more than two tribes because I just think how awesome a challenge would be if you had, you know, three different tribes going with boats and then, you know, teams could be teaming up on each other and sinking each other's boats and whatnot. So I think this challenge is awesome to watch and to <coughs> see Austin sink his own boat. That's even more awesome.
2: Yay, yes. Austin. Way to just torpedo your tribe.
0: Austin pulls himself away from the action so that Savage's boat can get owned by Rupert. Which I, I love the shots of Rupert just leaning all his body weight onto someone's boat and no one's stopping him. Like, yeah. Don't you think that would be a good time to try to knock that off?
2: They, they get to own Savage's boat. Austin pulls away. And then Austin gets the idea to put his weight in. But he does it while he's standing up on the edge of his boat, causing his boat to basically capsize under his own weight. If only they'd done a little more fishing. If only they had done a little more fishing.
0: Yeah, so Drake has just won their fourth challenge in a row. Almost all of them, like, obvious wins, not even close. And this is where, you know, the Morgans are just crushed. Their confidence is low. And Savage, of course, mentions again, he's doing everything he can to keep their spirits up. Like, they can't give up. They have to hang in there again. you can see that two different ways. I, I see it as him being very sincere. Whatever. Anyway. So that's it for Morgan. They're no, having I'm, a hard time.
2: <laughs> I'm not going to go in this, but what's funny is that the reward for this challenge was this is the blankets and pillows challenge, and what's funny is is that Savage has been consistent in night one tribal council. You know, they're basically like, "What's the problem? Food, water, and Savage is like lack of sleep." You know, and Savage has been on lack of sleep. Everyone else like Phils like or Phil Lil is like fishing you know and and other people have been like water or tribe unity or something like that savage has been very consistent and so the the poor pillows and mattresses was too much for him and then afterwards he's just like all we complain about is the sleeping and it's like well that's mainly what we hear out of you <laughs> yes. but but yes i I can totally concede it's like like sleep deprivation would suck so we'll just move on
0: and then this is where we go back to camp and Lil loses the fishing hook <laughs> Which is, i i forgot about the scene. I forgot some of the little touches, like the fact that they play the jaws music yeah. right before she loses her hook. <laughs> oh, she pulls it up, so and sad. Yeah, She's like. I lost the hook, and like she could not be more pouty face.
2: But it's so a hangdog. She's coming back, like you know, she's just you know now she's lost some weight, and like the clothes are falling off her, and she's just kind of like like trudging into camp with her head down and like her lip out. Like it's fantastic.
1: And,
0: it's like a uh, in Arrested Development. She's doing the Charlie Brown sad walk. And I
1: lost the hook.
2: <laughs> and Savage is like really like you could just see like his rage just below his <laughs> face. Like and I lost the hook. It's like really. Didn't you search for it in the ocean? In the ocean. It'll sink right to the bottom.
1: <laughs> That's why I looked for it for an hour.
0: So I wrote in my notes, this is the everybody shits on Lil episode.
1: <laughs>
2: and rightly so This, at this is a point. big
1: old Lily dump right here. Lily
2: <laughs> dump. <laughs> oh, sad sack Lil. I mean, she just, ugh. You know, and it's like, you know, Rhino says this thing, you know, as Lil goes off on her own to go fishing, Rhino's like, well, you know, Lil just went out and went fishing. I mean, you know, if she had just waited a couple hours when I woke up, I would have gone with her. You And I'm tired of people going, and it's like, the the funny thing is that like Lil loses the hook and Savage loses his shit because Lil lost the hook and he should. Losing the hook sucks and there's nothing wrong with it. But it's like it it's implied at least to us that no one on Morgan is doing any fishing. So like she's like, I lost the hook. It's like, well, you weren't using it anyway. <laughs> yeah, it was just decorative at that point.
0: All right, so here we go. The next looting scene. This is where we send Krista and her big bird personality over to loot from the Morgans. <laughs> big
1: bird. <laughs> you so know, I'm just,
0: so yeah. awkward, Turtle. This is so awkward. I'm just writing in my notes as I'm watching this episode. And like four different times I wrote, man, Krista's weird. She's just an odd character. <laughs> yeah, she's very weird and quirky and lots of fun.
2: Hey, you yes. guys, I'm Krista.
0: <laughs> and she's even got these little, like, ticks, Like, the one where she repeats what she says. She does that, like Christy. Christy does that too. She repeats what she says. So Christa's like, <clears throat> she goes, "It was
1: overwhelming. It was, it was overwhelming. overwhelming.
0: I just, I just wanted to get out of there. I just wanted to get out of there." I remember that when that aired.
1: My, I remember when that aired. My, I remember my when we I, I was watching that with my mom and my brother. And my mom said, "Does she want to get out of there?" <laughs> yes. <laughs> Paul's mom with a quip of the day. Nice. <laughs> finally, so after then, seven seasons, she finally gets one in there. So then Krista
2: <laughs> takes the pot. Hooray. <laughs>
1: they call her big bird it's uh, really about bird. it it's
0: interesting Krista's one of those characters who never really clicked with me and i don't know why because she's quirky and i like quirky characters and she's just unique but it's hard to classify her she doesn't i don't i never really understood where she fit into the narrative of this season
1: so who uh so you know Andrew asks her um you know uh who's the lead on your tribe oh no we just hang out it's just the strangest thing <laughs> yeah it's just the strangest thing it's just the
0: strangest thing (laughs) oh krista oh krista yes that's really i have nothing more to say about that scene then we go back to here we go this is this is in my opinion where the season really kicks up into the next gear this is the uh austin versus rupert showdown of strength this is austin's big moment to redeem himself and
1: great great challenge
0: yeah, they've been building this whole episode, this basically the whole season, up and up to Savage is rallying his troops. He's going to keep O.T. in the game. This is his big moment. O.T. just has to have that one scene where he rallies and saves us. And you think Morgan's going to win this challenge because the whole editing has been pointing that way. So here we go. This is a fun challenge. Where I,
2: I would argue differently, but let's go. Ah, Spoil sport.
0: All right, so here we go. This is where uh, Michelle and Dara are dangling in the air. You have their lightest person out there. And the whole tribe has to, hang, has to hold them up in the air as long as they can. And Austin and Rupert are anchoring the, the rope at the very end.
2: Yeah, and they, they get to start at the beginning. They just get to anchor it. And then, you know, basically as time elapses and, and neither of them are, are going anywhere, then Jeff's like, no, now you have to stand. And now you can't, you know, have it, any part of it like wrapped around you or on the hitching post and stuff like that. But we do get some interviews out there with, uh, you know, how they're doing and how people think they're doing. And, and Dara, how are you doing hanging
1: out there in the water? No. (laughs) Which is like, uh, Garrett, I mean, Darrow is like, she's so in and out this whole season. I mean, you don't see her for like 10 episodes. You don't even realize she exists. And, you know, the first time we even see her is she does not even talk in the first episode until right before Nicole gets out we you know we we hear from Dara and she says i was getting along with Nicole but now i don't know and then she vanishes again and then we see her, you know this episode all of a sudden it's this big dilemma is it going to be Dara or Lil Dara or Lil and so i think this challenge actually ends up hel- helping you know Dara's case the fact that she hung in there that whole time and even as numb as she was <laughs> she uh, um you know she, i think she showed that she could compete I also
2: do hey. like, is it is it this episode or next episode where she has the, the other tribe is a bunch of pussies? No, no
0: I, I was just going to say that. That was last episode when Sandra goes to loot. Yeah. And she, she says, the other tribe is a bunch of pussies. And she says that Sandra is too snatchy or something like that.
1: Yeah. <laughs> she, that she she acted like she was nice about it, but I think she was kind of snatchy and did it on purpose. Sandra was snatchy, but she was also not
0: snatchy too.
1: <laughs> <I> <laughs> Spoiler.
0: Oh. Spoiler
1: for a later joke. Spoiler meme. I love it. When yeah, it, but it... when Sandra's dead, I wanna cut her up. But
2: when but when uh but when Jeff told both men that they uh you know had to stand up and not lean it on the hitching post, we were like, Oh shit. <laughs> it,
1: yeah.
2: It's 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 lights out for Austin.
0: <laughs> I, I gotta say there uh when jay was advertising this that we were doing a pearl islands podcast the other day he, he wrote on there come listen to the historians we talk about pearl islands and we're gonna get numb watch dara get numb and i gotta say this was in the group previously on survivor on facebook and dara randomly pops up in the group and wrote numb Num. <laughs> so just, just, just a randomly funny little joke she doesn't really under get the numb joke all right. Enough about that. So, yeah, this is the big moment. And I got to point out, my wife pointed this out when we were watching the episode. You know, they're, they're standing there in strength order, weakest to strongest, with the strong guys in the back. And my wife pointed out, why is John in front of Sandra?
1: <laughs> yeah, see, the <laughs> argument was so right there. Sandra won. And then I like yes. what Jeff says, like, Sandra, you got five more minutes in you. Six if I have to. That's
2: great. It's good. Regardless. It's good. It's good. But we finally get to the end, and and Austin can't beat Rupert, and down goes Drake.
0: But I got to point out in this challenge, like, this is one where the dramatic music is swelling. This is one of those endurance challenges, like a final two or final three challenge, where it's basically just standing there until one of them gives up. And Probes is milking in, and the music's swelling. And Probes is like, one of you will give up. One of you will give up. And it's just, it's a really cool challenge for early in the season. I really love this one. It's really edited well, I think. Mhm. I agree. And then that's it. Yeah, Drake wins and poor Austin OT just couldn't do it. This was his big moment to save his tribe and he couldn't do it. He just couldn't beat the pirate.
2: Couldn't do it. And then, you know, now now we have to go to the extremely anticlimactic tribal council. Uh well, and even scrambling before. But I do want to point this is a great thing when they're when they're talking about, you know, who to go home and they're basically like is it going to be Dara or D as they call her. Now, or or Lil, and it's funny because they were like, "Who does more in camp life, Lil?" Yeah. And then they say, "Well, is there anything Lil does that D can't do?" And that's a fun question. Like, is there anything Lil does that D can't do? But then my question is, is D going to do it? <laughs> yes. Well, I have to point out Andrew Savage, maybe the worst nickname giver in
0: Survivor history. His tribe is D T and O T and Rhino. Like, come on, come up with a little more clever than that,
1: Antoine. <laughs> 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 and Limp
0: Noodle, I guess. That was a good one. It's so, always... yeah, so it comes down to Dara versus Lil. Okay, are we going to pick the one who is cute and does nothing or the one who does all the work around here except she's mopey and we can't stand her? So uh, that's really what it comes down to.
2: Yep, yep. But the writing was on the wall, I think.
0: Well, there's a really harsh scene in there where they're like, who's more intelligent? And Savage is like, I haven't seen any intelligence from (laughs) Dara. It's just a horrible thing to say. I haven't seen much out of her. He's like, not that it's not there. Yeah, we just haven't seen it. It could be there. Fantastic. If we have to embalm a body, perhaps she can help us.
2: (laughs) Yep. And again, with editing, because we go to tribal council and it's Lil, but yet we get fun foreshadowing with, you know, things like that. Because Jeff goes to snuff Lil's torch.
0: Oh, wait, there's two. The other one. You forgot the other one where Savage promises Lil, if I vote you out, I'll give you a warning ahead of time.
2: Ah, yes. Which, of course, does not
0: seem even slightly significant to the outcome of the season at the time, but it will become important
2: later. Super important.
0: Yep, and so here we go. So Lil goes to tribal council, Savage does not give her a warning, and she's voted out. And then in one of the great little unscripted moments in Survivor history, Jeff tries to snuff her torch and it doesn't go out. He's like, huh, let's try that again. He's like, I guess they don't they don't really want you to go home. And she's like something like, yeah, really, or whatever. Yeah, right, yeah. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. If Survivor was scripted, she would have had a better quip there, like Arnold Schwarzenegger.
2: <laughs> but Lil's torch can't go out, but Lil's done for good. Finito. That's right. We'll never see Lily and Morris again. Bye, Lily. Lily. <laughs>
0: But I have in my notes that the, re- the season really started to get interesting with this one, with the whole Savage and Lil thing and the whole O.T.'s big comeback and the great challenge. So I really thought this was the episode that starts kicking into high gear, and the next episode I think is even better.
2: Yeah, the, the, episode four is good. I have a bunch of notes here on episode four, but I have a big word written on the, on the side of my notes for episode four, and it says Fair Play.
0: Fair Play, that's right. This is The Legend of Johnny Fair Play. And it's funny if you look if you look at Johnny Fairplay in the first three episodes, he's always got that smug little grin on his face. He's always nodding and grinning. Like you can see he just wants to play Survivor, but he's ready. Right, he he can't do it because they won't they can't lose. So you can just see it in his eyes. He's ready to go. He's got his alliance in place. And it's never really specified in the episodes who his alliance is. Like I'm positive it's John and Trish. I'm aware Trish is in there somewhere. And other times he says Krista's in there, he says Rupert's in there, he says Sandra. We all know that Burton, Sean, and Michelle are against him, although he says he's with them too. It's just I've never figured out what the core alliance was, other than I think it was John and Trish, and then whoever else they could latch in with them.
2: But episode four, at the beginning, we we get some stuff, good stuff around Drake, and you guys can talk about it if you want to. But again, it, it presents this fact that I think that you know Drake is now. Proven to be the mo- like one of the-, the winningest tribe in survivor history up to this point with a- with a close second or tied for second being the original Rotu tribe in Marquesas. But the Rotu tribe was the love tribe, right? You know, so like everything was great. And so they're just like, everything's great, everything's fine. We just wanna keep winning. We just wanna whatever. But like the Drake tribe is not super it's not like a super happy family. Not, you know, they don't have the legend of Gabriel Cade around them. So we get you know, we get this scene and I think Krista has the confessional. She's like, the mood around camp's a little funky. And you know, like she's basically talking about and it's it's this whole uh, thing that we interject where it's basically like, you know, it actually might be good if we vote somebody out which is a t- completely new concept in Survivor.
1: Well, Trish has a great interview where she says, "The mood has just been funky today and I can't figure out why. I think it's because um, I think it's because everyone's kind of, you know, sick of everyone. We haven't lost anyone and the mood's really funky and I can't figure out why."
2: <laughs> Trish. It is Trish. So <laughs> it's good.
1: It's like I have to you point- could just, you could just like keep playing the interview on loop. It would just keep going and going and going and going. <laughs> she knew instantly that the mood was funky
0: (laughs) but yeah so uh there's a there's a little character scene i like to point out in this one this is where john and sean get a little fight over workload but i got to point out this is something i always like pointing out the point of the fight is that john does a ton of work and sean does none and a lot of people i don't think really catch that as they're watching pearl islands that john is a little workhorse he does a lot of work he's involved in a lot of the work scenes if you look Mm-hmm. And he even gets the cutting scene. the
1: coconut, putting the you know, moving the bamboo
0: logs. Yeah, but even but that's the whole point of this scene is that Sean is lazy and John's calling him out. So people always say John was a little weasel; he was a villain. People hated him. I'm like, I don't think he was disliked and hated at all. I think he was very good in the social game. He had his clique; they liked him. Yeah, I think he was a hard worker. I think he and Sandra got along better than it showed on camera. They had a working relationship. So it's one of those things to discredit Sh- John. I think you're really doing him a disservice because he was a much better player than people give him credit for. And the fact is that he was a hard worker too, which is something that I don't know if Rob Sesternino could have even said that I think John just gets underrated a lot.
2: Now now Rob Sesternino was Rob didn't do du- shit and we well, know he, that. he was I asked just-
1: Alicia. Yeah, well, my source is Alicia Calloway, and She um... said he was digging sandcastles, honey. <laughs> he, he
2: <laughs> I was just gonna say he he was Sneak junior preview. deputy, junior deputy firewood, firewood bitch. bitch. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, I think that that's a that's an apt point. I think that Johnny Fairplay uh was very well liked by his tribe, and a lot of people you know just think of Johnny Fairplay as the most notorious survivor villain there is and Yes, he was, but he was also very well liked, which makes him one of the best players to ever play this game
0: absolutely I think he I've always said this, I think he came closer to winning than Rob Sesternino did. That's I, think it was awfully close. I think it was awfully close because there was a better chance someone would take him to the final two just by thinking that he was disliked. And I don't think Rob was going to get taken to the final two.
2: No, I, I, when I said that's an argument, I, I think that's an argument in the favor of fair play.
0: Yep. And, of course, we can segue from that right into one of my favorite scenes of Pearl Islands. This is the famous Burton pointing at Rupert's ass scene. <laughs> <laughs> I've had so much fun with that scene over the years. Gee,
2: Mario, was, did that make the funny 115? Oh yes, that was what? a running joke. It did.
0: Yes, just randomly having Burton pointing to things and laughing. But it all starts with, with Burton saying "Say no to crack" and then pointing to Rupert's ass from two feet away and doing the Burton laugh, which is oh.
2: "Kill and, you."
0: Yeah, I'll kill you. <laughs> I turn around and Burton's pointing at my ass and being an idiot. And so yeah, there's a. We see the division between the tribe where basically you have five people versus the cool kids who are Rupert uh, or not, or Burton, Sean, and Michelle, kind of the three cool popular kids who have, what is this, the Reynolds School of Alliance building, form <laughs> the alliance of three on a tribe of eight and expect it's going to take it over.
2: The, the Reynolds-Matt Quinlan School of addition.
0: Of yeah, but this is the, the Burton pointing at Rupert's ass scene, which is it always makes me laugh.
2: It is good and and poor and, you know, Bert, Burton's going to have a fall here. But, you know, Burton and Sean kind of on the outs here, you know, not 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 really clicking with everyone else. But, uh, you know, it, it's they're they're making fun of Rupert. So the scene does twofold. One, it, it kind of builds up the legend of Rupert, kind of tears down Burton and Sean a little bit. But also, you know, shows that Rupert's dress is falling apart, which is a good segue to the next scene. <laughs> exactly.
0: By the way, people people always wonder, like I said, an alliance of three on an, on a tribe of eight. Like, what were Sean and Burton and Michelle thinking? But if you pay attention to the episode, they thought they had fair play as their fourth. Yeah. And again, it's fair play putting himself right in that Rob Sesternino spot where you're the swing between two groups. So and and they, they, they both really...
1: obviously, I mean, they they thought that they had you know some working relationship with Rupert, otherwise. Yeah, you know, I mean, we, we'll talk about that when, when that scene where Burton confides in Rupert about where he wants to go with it. So I think they're very confident in thinking that Sandra, Trish, and Krista were the three outsiders.
0: Yes, so exactly. It wasn't just three against five, they really thought that they had the majority. Mm hmm. But All dope. right, so we'll go with the dress. That's right. Or is that after the challenge? I think that's after the immunity challenge.
2: It does. Yeah, I think it's a little afterwards, but we have to get to uh, the immunity challenge, which is one of the coolest reward challenges ever. A reward. Sorry, Sorry I'm yeah. getting my challenges mixed up. Yes, reward challenge. Reward challenge for a sewing machine and fabric. That's fantastic. <laughs> that's
0: right. A sewing machine and Austin almost drowns over a sewing machine. So well
2: done. Well, it's not just Austin. Like, Morgan, this is, this is probably, I think this is one of the worst performances in a challenge ever by a tribe. Even without the limp noodle, even without the limp noodle, and what's what's ironic is that you know tr- apparently Trish takes forever to find that one piece in the sand. So in theory, like Morgan still like they don't almost win, but Morgan is at least within shouting distance only because of Trish Trish's ineptness. But like, more, this is just inept on so just, many levels. I
1: just like laugh to give that scene when like I think Dara's ready to run out and then Tawana just runs out into the water without a mask and just almost drowns.
2: <laughs> yes. Yeah, it's fantastic because like they start out and everything's fine because basically the challenge is, is that you know a puzzle challenge got to get puzzle pieces put a puzzle together but eight pieces are buried in the sand on the shore eight pieces are under the under the water and then basically you just got to go in any order and you can go in any order and get the pieces but as you see both tribes kind of are going to adopt a strategy of one in the water the next one in the sand one in the water the next one in the sand so you know they're they're going and then. It gets to the point where Dara is ready to go, and there's one mask per tribe, which is why they kind of do this alternating order. Because basically, the one person that's going to go in the water gets the mask and they get ready, and then they go. And then, as you know, they come back, the next person's in the sand so they could pass off the mask and stuff like that. Well, Dara's got the mask, and Dara's ready to go out for Morgan. And when the tribe member comes in, Tawana just runs past her and runs into the water with no mask or anything. And then, you know, she has super trouble getting her piece in there because she doesn't have a mask. What the fuck? So, what they have to get eight puzzle pieces, and once again, Drake wins by 55 pieces. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> because pile onto the fact that Tawana completely wastes time with, with, with that gaffe is that they send Austin out to the water and he can't swim.
0: Yes, poor Austin. <laughs> yes, Austin. Nearly the first person to nearly drown in a survivor challenge
2: so then Jeff's like hold on buddy you'll be fine hold that rope and you see Austin there and then like Savage and Rhino have to go in the water and get him and bring him out all while Trish is still trying to find this one piece can you imagine if like a pelican had come down and landed right near him in the water <laughs> like his heart would have exploded
1: like a, holy shit or even just a little bug yes. a, little or a hermit crab anything
2: They put the pieces together and Rupert's going,
1: perfect,
2: perfect. I get a skirt. Ah. So then Drake wins reward by 55 pieces, as Mario said. They win the sewing machine. They win their final piece of the treasure chest.
0: (laughs) Yes. They go and they dig up the treasure chest and it's all moldy and it's, again, one of the most anticlimactic, yeah, the ghetto Christmas. And the only thing in there is like a... a stench, worse. A stench so awful it smelled like death, according to Sandra.
1: <laughs> a stench that was so bad, it smelled like death.
2: Well, it's it's funny to hear everyone go with this, and you know they have the whole like this is the devil's fork. They find they have to literally dig up the treasure. They dig it up, and you know they. They get there, and in the in there appears to be like a blanket of some sort, which has been you know washed over and kind of moldy smelling. A, a, a mosquito net, which is the same thing, and a hammock, which is the same thing. But there is some booze in there, which they enjoy, and then there are some. Uh, sealed off little chocolates which they all enjoy And you know you see the scene where like you know you see sean i think narrating basically saying thank god the chocolates were in there or else we would have torn our heads off but you see in there the next confessional i believe is is burton who's basically being like you know everyone was so disappointed i'm sitting here going like hey guys we got something and something is better than nothing kind of deal and then the next confessional is johnny fairplay is like the the bug net smelled like crap, crap. the mosquitoes <laughs> smelled like crap everything was crap it's like oh the dichotomy
0: yeah, so that was it. They get the chocolate. That's really about it. It's a, something that had been built up for four full episodes, yeah. and it just completely fizzles out, and it's never mentioned again. <laughs> it's just this, just the poor producers. Just As much as the village scene worked out for them,
2: the treasure chest scene did not work out for them. <laughs> it's sad that it didn't work out. It's such a perfect season, and then you're like, well, what about that treasure chest deal? Oh, yeah, the uh, treasure yeah. chest.
0: <laughs> yeah, okay, so we get back to camp, and this is where Rupert sews and makes himself another skirt, and Sean walks up and says, sexy, sexy. And it's funny. This is something I like. The major storyline of Drake is that Sean and Burton are bullies and they pick on Rupert. But what's funny is if you read all their postgame interviews after the season, all the Drakes kind of came out against that storyline. They're like, like Sean and Burton would be like, Rupert was the bully. He was the one who was mean to everybody. So like that, what you saw on TV was not even close to the way it went down on the island. So I always, I always think of that when I watch Pearl Islands that. All the interviews after the season said Rupert was nothing like we saw on TV. He wasn't bullied. He was he was the mean one to people.
2: He did put in an order for a hem though.
0: Did Rupert ever get around to that? I'm not sure. Well, we'll have to get Sean on here while we interview if see if he got the hem.
2: Uh what a nice reward though, that they could, you know, because they they did go out there with just the clothes on their backs and uh they got to actually just, you know. Make some new clothes if you have the skill. I mean, again, it's not them giving them something. It's the, They had gave them the sewing machine and fabric, but it's like you still have to sew the damn clothes. Naturally, Rupert has sewing skills, because why wouldn't he? Of course. <laughs> you I, make? Sewed, I sewed for De Drake. I sewed for, what are you making there? New dress. <laughs> <laughs> All right.
0: So uh, then we have Trish, I think, going to loot the Morgans. Nothing a lot. There's nothing much in that scene. And then Savage and Rhino go fishing, get stuck in the jungle. That's about 10 minutes of wasted time. Nothing really happens there. But, but we are about to have – oh, sorry. It just,
2: show, it just shows Morgan's ineptness, and it's not a Savage knock or anything. like that. It. It's just the fact that, like, they just can't do anything. Yeah. You know, like, they – you know, Lil tried to fish, and it, it, the implication is that the other ones didn't really try to fish. And then Lil's gone, so they're like, well, we'll try to fish, and then they can't because they can't find their way through, and then they finally get through some other way, and it's a choppy area of water. It's like, oh my God, Morgan Tribe, seriously.
0: All right, and then we get to, last episode we had a really pivotal scene with with Lil not being told she's going to get voted out, and now we're going to have another pivotal scene. We're going to have, every episode is going to have a big pivotal scene coming up here, and this is the big one where Burton pulls Rupert aside, and he says, I think we should throw the next challenge.
1: If this were a pirate culture, he'd already be dead. Yes.
0: Well done, Rupert. Yeah. So Rupert and Burton are, like you said, Jay. Or I forget. I forget what my, one of you said. This where R- or Burton clearly thought that they were in with Rupert as an alliance. So Burton has pulled Rupert aside. He said, "You know, we're screwed when we get to emerge because we're going to go up in numbers. All the weak people are going to team out, team up, and vote us out. So we need to take out some of these conniving weak people. And I believe Krista or Trish are the two they mentioned. It's like they're like yeah john trish sandra krista they're all gonna they're gonna team up on us after the merge so we have to throw this challenge and look out for our own best interest here and burton's actually probably right in a sense like it's he's correct to be worrying about his own safety once they get up really bad in numbers here but yeah he tells rupert rupert's freaked out he's pissed about it and it's gonna backfire on burton really bad later in the episode
2: it is but it's really forward-thinking strategy from burton you know and this this is already showing uh shades of how Sesternino has completely changed this game. Because Burton, I mean, Burton is exactly right. He's like, well, it's all well and good within our tribe. But if we merge and we're all here and there's, you know, remnants of Morgan's left, they're just going to team up with the bottom people and vote the rest of us out, you know. And that is super sound. I mean, that is, you know, everyone's always like you have to win every immunity. And it's like, well, you have to do what's best for you. And sometimes what's best for you isn't necessarily winning. And Burton is is thinking ahead. I mean, that's a real good fourth dimensional move. Uh, But, you know, too bad. Too bad it doesn't work out for him. Yeah, that's the thing. Burton's not, I mean, so many people just think he was some
0: meathead idiot who got, they threw a challenge and voted him out. But he was a good player. Like, you look past kind of the scenes that make you feel bad for Rupert because Burton and Sean are being bullies. But Burton was a really sound player who, who you know, he deserved, as, he got far in the game and he deserved it just as much as Lil did because they were solid players when they came back.
2: Burton has my favorite quote of all season, and this is a this is a season of quote machine. Rupert quotes fair play, quotes fair play is one of my I think he's my favorite character of all time, uh, and, and Sandra and, and and Andrew Savage and Rhino and all these like larger life characters. And Burton says when he comes back, he has a whole thing, but then he says in the end, it's a game about deceit. And Burton has summed up. All of Survivor in that one thing. It was Burton that did it. I mean, you know, Burton is fantastic and, and uh I feel he's he's underrepresented uh in in uh people talking about, you know, old seasons and whatnot. Burton was a player and just yeah, kinda he, got chopped down.
0: Yeah, and go back even factor in this cha- how good he is in challenges. He may be if you look at it, he may be the best challenge competitor in Survivor history. I can't back that up. I don't know all the numbers, but he is ridiculously He's Gabriel level good in challenges. So yeah, he's got to be in the discussion of some of these underrated players in Survivor history. I gotta say.
2: Hey, hey, Paul. Hey, Paul. He was Gabriel level good.
1: No, that was uh, <laughs> Ryan Shoulders.
0: Um,
1: <laughs> no, but I mean, uh, and I mean, we love to hate on the Outcast twist, and we're we're gonna get there one of these days. But um, you know, had the Outcast, you know, twist never happened, Burton would have been a you know a very forgettable character.
0: And I will clarify what Paul says: We do not love to hate on the outcast twist. I love the outcast twist with all of my heart. Oh, no,
2: yeah. I know, crickets. I, I agree. I agree. I agree. I love the outcast is is, is deliciously unfair. It's fantastic. <laughs>
0: it's, it's so perfect for the season, and it just works out perfectly.
2: Yes. But,
0: all right. Uh, so here we we got this challenge. We got the immunity challenge, including the return of, uh, who knows what I'm about to say. The
2: modified attack zone. Attack
0: zone is yeah. back. Is this the second attack zone challenge in survivor history? I think it is. Yes. Yes, where it's chest checkers. It's basically full contact checkers.
2: You notice, an attack you, know, zone. you notice the attack zone is like super wide in this one, though? <laughs> yeah.
1: It's a little bigger. Uh, there's, no, yeah. there's no Gandhi barking, though. <laughs> <laughs> a-roop, a-roop. A-roop, a-roop,
0: a-roop. Yeah, we do have Tawana throwing fair play, though, so that's almost yeah, that's as good. good
2: that is, that is the, like, there, there's two attack zone upsets. I feel, I feel everything pretty much goes as planned, but Tawana takes out fair play. And then I think Dara shoves Krista off. Yes. Is, Krista has been presented as, you know, uh, you know, dude, like in strength and stature and, and will continue to do so. So, so that has to count as an upset, but yeah, it's uh you move, you move on the board. You're basically trying to get to a single piece on the uh, opponent's side, get into their boat and, uh, uh, you know, if, if two paths intersect, there's basically a showdown. But Drake is purposely throwing this challenge.
0: And, of course, the purpose is to throw it to get out Burton, although the story that has been told to Burton is they are throwing it to get rid of Krista. So all the bases have been covered. Everyone thinks they're throwing it for a different purpose. And, of course, Rupert goes on record here letting us know that he thinks throwing a challenge is stupid.
2: But I I like if, if they want to throw it, I'll let them. So, you know, Rupert's it. whole thing with it is is uh is is sitting out
0: yes and so yeah that's it so basically drake throws the challenge
2: you can see it blatantly like right at the end when i think uh who's who's the last uh, uh morgan left is it dara or is it tawana dara
1: walks into the the finish yeah, line dara walks
2: she's on the one side and then john's still out there and michelle's still out there and like basically they have a chance to block dara but you see John move Michelle away, like purposely on the other side of the board. Like it couldn't be any clearer that he's basically opening the path for, Ford Morgan to win.
0: Yep. And it's a big moment. Morgan through the exemplary leadership of Andrew Savage, the greatest leader in survivor history has just won their first challenge. And it's a big moment and they're all fist pumping. So it's a big moment for them.
2: Yep. You hold on to that, but <laughs> we have, we have an extra thing with this win.
0: We have. Yeah. The, the, Basically, the producers are going to make up a twist and pull it out of their ass right on the fly. Which is, oh, we're going to have one of the members of Drake come and live with you. (laughs) Which there's no way they planned that ahead of time. They had to just, they knew they were going to throw a challenge, and I, I think they were kind of throwing that in there to save whichever strong member of Drake was going to get voted out. That they thought it might be Rupert. I always wondered if they threw that twist in there just to save Rupert.
2: It could be. I mean, it could be. And it also could be just a I mean, Morgan was just on life support. They were just so bad. And Johnny Fairplay, in that retrospective with Dom and Colin, again, slams Morgan. And I'm jumping ahead slightly. But I mean, he's just basically like they didn't even know which coconuts to eat. I mean, they just they just didn't know, you know And I mean? They had a Hawaiian sling when Rupert gets over there and they didn't know how to use it. I mean, Morgan was just inept. I mean, I think they literally thought that Morgan was going to die. Yeah, well, you know
0: the best thing that Morgan ever did was getting a hold of old Rupert. <laughs> That's
2: true. So yes, Rupert has to go with Morgan, and so he skips Tribal Council. So it's really yeah, a, a see seven him post. right
1: until next episode.
2: Yeah, yeah, we, and he has a he has a big frowny face when he's going over to Morgan.
0: It's it's another one of those Rupert has a sad moments. Oh, <laughs> I got taken from to Drake.
2: When we saw Rupert go on Morgan's boat, we were like, "Oh shit." <laughs>
0: Where's the boat going, Rupert? In the ocean!
2: This is so good. But yeah, we we get scrambling before Tribal Council, and and just fair play comes out. This is fantastic.
0: Yeah, and again, he's right in the middle. It's a classic Rob Sesternino move where the vote could go either way. It's three versus three. You got one guy in the middle. Everybody thinks he's their best friend, and he's with them, and he could go either way and swing the, uh, the episode any way he wants to the point that Krista knows... She's probably not going home. She knows it's going to be Burton. But even she says right before tribal council, she's nervous. Like she knows John's in the middle. John could control this game and she's not a hundred percent sure. It's not going to be her tonight.
2: And John has the great confessional. Do you, do you know it, Paul it's it's, it's the puppet master one. That's a fantastic one.
1: I don't know that I, I mean, what once I hear it, I'll know, it, but I don't know if I have that one. Memorized. Let me see. If,
2: let me see if I can dredge it up here. It's uh you know, where he's like, I'm having the time of my life or something like that. He's like, I'm, I'm out in the middle of paradise and uh, I'm a freaking puppet master. Yeah. I have That's alliances it. with everyone. Yeah. Ugh. I'm in a
0: paradise and I'm a freaking puppet master.
2: Oh, Johnny Fairplay, just killing the game. Gotta and love the
0: it. End, at the end, he's going to have an orgy with all the girls that are left. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and at the, I should point out that they had the alcohol that they won in the treasure chest. And so John is loaded when he goes to tribal council. That's
2: great. Because, yeah, yeah, he's like, how you doing, John? He's like, good. Happy tribe. Happy tribe. You loaded, (laughs) yeah.
0: (laughs) Well, this is kind of a notorious moment that to this day Jeff Probst hates Johnny Fairplay like in real life, and it's always people have always said it started with that first tribal council that he was so pissed that someone would dare show up drunk to tribal council. He just couldn't understand it. So they really do not like each other.
1: Well, Well, he was just he was just gonna you know vote on the way the stars told him to vote.
2: <laughs> and then Jeff just looks at him because you can see, just see like Jeff's ire like, like coming is out of that
1: a re- It sounds like how I talk to you, like if you're talking to like a you know like a, a third grader who just made a poor choice and you're like, is that a respectful way to treat your fellow tribe members?
2: <laughs> what I love though is that John's response. He's just like maybe. Maybe. I guess we'll see you tonight. <laughs>
0: that was funny. Yeah. Jeff so hates fair play. I always if we ever get Thunder Dan or Fairplay on this show, I want to ask them. How long did Jeff scream at you, Fairplay, when he turned off the cameras after that scene? (laughs)
2: Because Jeff is notorious for turning cameras off and just laying into people and being a dick to them. Yeah, but the problem is that it's Fairplay. You know, he didn't give two shits. He's like, "This is exactly what I want to do." Oh yeah, I gotta say, this is the first. I mean, we've seen it before
0: the the F and the Y, where Fairplay holds out the fingers, and you know, he says, "It's, "It's Johnny Fairplay, F and Y. I'm Fairplay. I'm in the middle." Now, I had a theory about that for years. I mean, this is since 2003 that that F and the Y really stood for fuck you. But that's just – he's using the Fair Play character as a way to tell everyone fuck you and get away with it on camera. I mean, mm, does, doesn't really? that make sense that that would, that that would, would, would totally sense. be – yeah. I For years, I thought that was true. I'm like, that's got to be. That's why he does the FY. It makes sense. And I asked Thunder Dan about this recently because he's always my go-to guy for Fair Play trivia. I'm like, <clears throat> I have a theory that the F and the Y stands for fuck you. I'm like, that's got to be true. Tell me that's true, and I knew it was true. And Thunder Dan's like, no, it just stands for fair play, exactly like you said. I'm like, no, you ruined my theory. That ki-. so, I choose to disbelieve the actual story and go with my story instead. That he's saying fuck you to everyone because I think that's better.
2: And so let it be done, folks.
0: Yes, just go with my version. All right, and this is where we come to the uh, the yeah this yeah I got I've ordered my notes here that one of the things I love about fair play again. So many people just don't like him or got tired of him, but in Pearl Islands, he's just a gold character. I love all the times when he's going up to cast a vote, his little strut, how happy he is to vote somebody out. Like, I've never seen someone who's happier to play Survivor. Like, yeah, Ryan Shoulders was a super fan. Yeah, Cochran was a super fan, but look at the joy. On John Johnny Fairplay's face when he's walking up to cast his vote, how happy and excited he is that he gets to use his little pro wrestling catchphrase he's saved up. He gets to ruin someone's dream. I mean, it's just it's it's just pure joy. I love watching him cast votes. It's so fun to watch.
2: Yeah, it's like a Ric Flair strut to get up there and and cast his votes. You're right though, and he, he even has that confessional before Tribal where he's like, "I cannot wait." You know, like you could just tell he's just digging this.
0: Yeah, I mean, he went into Survivor. I don't even know if he was trying to win so much as he wants to be the villain. In fact, he said in, in some of his pregame interviews the only reason he did Survivor was because he wanted to rape reality TV. That's a, that's a direct quote. Like I, I could be doing the finger quotes with my, with my fingers here. He wanted to rape reality TV. That's the only thing he had out of going out of Survivor. That was his only goal. He wanted to just destroy it. And you'll find out later with the dead grandma how that all builds in. But that's his thing. I've always argued, people say who's the biggest villain in Survivor history. I'm like... There's only one villain in Survivor history, Johnny Fairplay. He's the only person who went on there with the intention to destroy the show, to ruin every bit of integrity it had, and to make jackasses out of everybody. Like anybody else, all they did was try to win Survivor. That's like Russell Hans any of these guys. Oh, I'm just trying to win Survivor anyway. I know. Fairplay, I don't even know if he was trying to win. He just wanted to be notorious and be remembered for the guy who just wrecked reality TV. So that's the thing. There is no other villain in Survivor history. There's Johnny Fairplay, and I love him for it.
2: I do love fair play too. Fair play is a favorite of mine. I just think, you know, I, we, we watch survivor for characters and a lot of people watch survivor for, for strategy play, you know, for, for good play. And, you know, a lot of times one sort of excludes the other, but sometimes they come together. And I believe that fair play is one of the best to ever play the game. And he's one of the largest characters to ever play this game. Fair play is the entire package.
0: Yeah, he's absolutely, he's everything you want out of a character. He was he, he, again, it's, it's hard to put into words, but he knew he was playing a character for the cameras. And this is so ahead of its time. Sesternino kind of did that too, where he had the jokes, he'd be the funny guy, he'd be the, he, he made himself into an archetype of reality TV contestant. Fairplay went so far beyond that. He made up a character with its own name Johnny Fairplay. Oh, he's the, he's the pro wrestling villain. Like, I've heard that John is really not even that much like that in real life when he's not playing this character. Like, he was so far ahead of his time in how to market yourself for reality TV. It's just astounding.
2: One thing he probably doesn't have is uh, is relatability, but other than that, it's it's good stuff. <laughs> yeah, probably
0: not. So we uh, we lose Burton in this episode, forever. and a goodbye, Burton, forever guy. But and I always have to remember, I I forgot who
2: Burton. This.
0: Yeah, but uh, John's vote for Burton. You remember how he writes it? No. Bert and Ernie. Oh, so he yeah. casts them up with Bert and Ernie. <laughs> such a jackass thing for
2: to do i keep i keep i keep thinking of krista's bert b-e-r-t <laughs> yes
0: so we lose burton and then in burton's final words which is funny it backs up my argument that burton maybe is the best challenge competitor ever i mean he's obviously one of the top 10 I, he could be ever but in his final words he says well challenges won't be a sure thing anymore now that i'm not here and you think he's talking about out of his ass but he's not he's actually correct challenges were a sure thing when he was there and they're not anymore because they don't win anymore.
2: Well, doesn't he also say, you know, he's just like, I would have done the same thing if I were them. Like, Yeah, they made a good move. That's what I would have done. And then he points at Rupert's ass and says, ha,
0: ha, ha, ha. <laughs> and with that, we are done with four episodes, which I'm guessing is about as farmers as are going to get on this part one of the podcast.
2: Yeah, we're, what, two and a half hours in or so? That's yeah. about right. Yeah, it's, it's about...
0: It's about 6.30 in the morning, Jay's time. We're doing this in the middle of the night for you guys who don't understand how Jay suffers for the rest of us here.
2: Hey, you know, that's how I do.
0: So we got through four episodes. We got through the epic opening, the theme, all the theming of Pearl Allen's, Rupert stealing for De Drake. We got through the forgettable second episode. Then we got episodes three and four, which seemed insignificant at the time, but are going to you know have a huge significance a huge part of this season coming up so you got to remember three and four these were a big deal with lil and burton
1: things are heating up and they're only going to get better from here so i can't wait to uh, to do the rest of these
0: that's right episode five promised the promise of smoothies Ooh. oh god
2: the smoothies fuck yeah
0: <laughs> and i'll give you another foreshadowing shots around episode two three and four watch how many uh, uh establishing shots there are of pelicans landing on morgan beach just one of the little jokes the editors put in all right so i think that's it we're gonna go through four episodes this looks like it's going to be a three-part podcast next uh next entry we're going to try to do episodes five through maybe eight or nine which means we'll go through the outcast twist we're going to go through rupert's boot episode we make it all the way up to the grandma lie that's going to be an epic podcast part two right there holy crap yeah (laughs) holy crap i mean uh, just a little spoiler here but i've long said that the outcast episode which is a two-part episode may be my all-time favorite survivor episode it's right up there in my top five it's one that gets so much crap so many people hate the outcast but i'm like i hate the theory of the outcast too but you gotta love how much love and attention and style they put into the actual episode just i can't say enough about it so i'm really excited to talk about that episode I think we're done. You got any? You got anything else? No. All right. I guess that's it. We're gonna fizzle out with as much momentum as episode one.
2: <laughs> we have nothing more to add after the good stuff. Well, neither of us, none of us, are wearing a bra. I think so. You know, it's about fitting that we're all gonna get voted out first. That's right. All right. So uh, we thank you for listening to the Survivor Historians. I'm
0: Mario
1: Lanza. Uh, this is Paul. This is Paul. I just want out of here. I just want out of here.
2: And this is Jay.
0: And Jay is the biggest puss I've ever seen in my life.
2: The other two guys in this tribe, they're a bunch of pussies.
0: (laughs) All right. (laughs) Thanks for listening. We will talk to you again in part two. Thanks for listening. Goodbye. I want that baby up there. The tart. Okay,
1: you can have to take it down yourself, right? Yep. I have
2: to take it down myself? Okay. Damn, I didn't think I'd come out here to work. I'm going to lay nice and neat so you guys can fix it back up. I'll be done in a minute and I'll be out of you guys' hair. In order for me to get the tarp I had to destroy their whole shelter, which I started feeling bad until they started running their mouths. Can I use
1: one of the knives? No. These
2: are our knives? I go to grab a knife and the black girl's like, no, 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 you're not going to use our knife and you better not cut our rope. So I was like, OK, regardless, I'm taking the tarp down.
1: Do what you got to do.
2: Not a problem.
1: Don't break the shelter, you No, 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 hey, I got to do what I got to do, right? No, nope, not necessarily. It's wrapped around, look, there we go. Not that bad. It's all good.
2: But look, it's coming apart fairly easy.
1: Sandra came over, and she was just, I don't know. That whole
2: drive, is just, it's a bunch of I didn't do any unnecessary harm. You guys will have this stuff in no time, I'm sure. She acted like she was nice about taking the tarp, but I think she was a little bit too snatchy about it and tore it down kind of on purpose. You don't know how good you have it until you see others. Well, you guys, sleep tight. Don't let the bed bugs bite and uh, no hard feelings, and I'll see you guys tomorrow, okay? Take care. Bye-bye. She's <laughs> said.